Hello and welcome to episode 118 of the Filmiac Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. Tonight on the podcast, because <laughs> it's tonight, tonight on the podcast we're going to be talking uh, Kevin's pick, The Triplets of Belleville, directed by that French guy that he likes. Anybody? Name? <laughs> Sil- Sylvain? Yeah. Sylvain? Sylvain? It's A-I-N, so... Oh, Sylvain. What's his last name? Is that his last name? Chalmay. Chalmay. My uh, my former cousin is French, and his name is the same, and he says Sylvain. But also... Oh, okay. Who kn- he might be from a different part of France. Who fucking mm. knows? That guy was a douchebag anyway. We should say his name wrong. Oh, okay. The director's a douchebag? No, no. Former oh. cousin. <laughs> former oh, your cousin. cousin. I was wondering oh, I why you said former cousin. Like, married into the family, divorced out of the family. I see. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, we're going to be talking about this douchebag's animated movie, Uh, (laughs) uh, Triplets of Belleville, as well as other stuff we watched, including loads of 2021 releases and our top films of the year. Our year in review, if you will. Oh, my God. (laughs) This... This episode is jam-packed, people. Is your list finalized, Jr.? What is what does finalized even mean? Like, is your you have a top ten to say? Yeah, but you comfortable? I'm gonna watch more movies, and this list will change. But I know yeah, you're. It's that's that's the thing about like I've been thinking about it. Like I think I'm done. I don't know if I'm gonna. <laughs> I don't know well, if I'm gonna power through the rest of these movies. Like yeah, I don't. There's a lot of movies that I've heard negative things about now that I'm like less inclined to watch. Especially after I've completed my list. I'm fairly happy with my list. I think it was a weak year overall. But I think that, um, you know, I like what's on the list. Uh, <laughs> I like I, all the movies. Yeah. I, definitely I, have two, plan I have a couple on, of four-star movies on my list, which is ridiculous. Me too. I plan on slowing down uh, my 2021 watches. And uh, you know, maybe when Oscar nominations come out, I'll... I'll watch more then i'll watch the nominations i haven't seen yet of course uh, yeah i do that too probably but i i mean this this weekend and like the last few days instead of putting on 2021 movies i was like i I did literally put on peacemaker like i texted you guys about Mm -hmm. i watched peacemaker Mm -hmm. uh which is not good don't watch that Um, (laughs) and i watched i you know there have been three saturdays of this new year 2022 so I've watched three of my Criterion Challenge movies. That's and, another uh, thing. The Criterion Challenge. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm so like I've got like 14 movies left from last year, and I haven't even started this year. And I'm just like, and I honestly, only thing I, I can stopped. think about, I just want to re. I, I'm I like I have all these things I want to rewatch. I'm like, when am I going to find mm-hmm. time to rewatch anything? If I'm constantly like forcing myself, like force feeding myself these movies that I'm you know, sort of only barely interested in watching. I mean, like, it's like you have to be in a certain mood to watch, you know, a foreign documentary. You know what I mean? But now it's like I've made myself to where I have to watch this movie this week or else I'm behind on a list. It's just like I don't need this much stress, you know. I just need to relax and watch what I feel. That's true. I This might not be worth your sanity. Yeah. So, yeah. Just you know, just ease it back. I so every movie that I didn't get to on last year's Criterion Challenge, I it's on this year's Criterion Challenge. I, like I'm not. That's a smart move. Last year <laughs> I failed, and this year I'm gonna try again. Right? You know, whatever. Right. So you're 
your last say seven movies on last year's are all the last seven movies on this year's no i i mean i had to fit them in like where the uh i would know if it was where the thing was would allow is it not similar though no it's it's like there's not like the bruce lee category where i had a bruce lee Mm. movie but like i've got that in like 1970s or something instead yeah it's a good idea fuck i don't know i just i yeah i don't know i just like don't want to i don't want to think about it even i kind of want to just like like i after listening to the um the film junk paul thomas anderson premium i want to rewatch all those films so badly right now oh god God. i i'm so like i just made me want to rewatch them so bad and i like haven't had any time because i've been watching fucking tragedy of macbeth twice (laughs) you know (laughs) it sounds like you wanted to do that but uh look this is this is the list where we give our top tens and we're you know yeah yeah, we can be done with 2021 we never have to talk about this year again good call i'm psyched all right well uh i mean let's do it then and i mean i guess kevin not to leave you out Mm -hmm. but you do you have a top five you think or you do you have a top ten? I mean, you watch some stuff. Able, I was able to make a top ten. Nice, nice. Yeah, and this as far as like huge. the criteria, <laughs> yeah, as far as that Criterion Challenge stuff goes, like I'm like I was telling telling you about like the uh, the watch list stuff. Mm-hmm. Like Stephen King said, he doesn't keep a notebook because that's the greatest way to immortalize bad ideas. Mm. And I have found that to be true with like watch lists or reading lists. Like I'll never watch anything mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. on a reading. I'll never read anything that's on a reading list. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, it's gotten to the point where like, I've just on Goodreads, I put things on my read list so I can, so I don't have to search for it. I can just go to the list and, right. but like there's stuff I put on there in like 2013. I'm never going to read that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. Like, I have stuff on my watch list that, like, I have so many films on my watch list now that I'll never get to some of them. But I did, I'm like, looking at my stats for last year, I did, like, watch something like 75 of the movies on my watch list. So, I mean, obviously, I'm getting some of them done, you know, but there's 900 of them. So, (laughs) I don't know. I would just say that Stephen King has found another way to immortalize bad ideas. And that's by publishing them in his books. After the, the last one of his that I read, uh, I'm very much inclined to agree because, like, uh, it, it's you know, it goes like it's basically this murder mystery slash sixth sense ripoff. And then, like, so like the book is going, it ends, and then there's this last chapter. That just totally takes all the wind out of the sails of this book. It was really demoralizing to read. Like he, a bummer, man. he knows how to do that. He just he really he just does. does. Hey, you know what though? The films based on his books, some of them are great. Carrie yeah, some and of them, yeah. The Shining. S- some of some of the books really work as well. Shawshank uh, Redemption. Green Mile was good. I don't know if it's good anymore. Who knows? I liked it um, back in, when I was a kid. I liked it. Yeah, all, right, all right. Um, let's talk what we watched. Uh, this is a tricky one. Who wants to go first? Because I like. Listen, I'm not insane. I'm not going to talk about everything I watched because I watched a ton of shit. 
but I, I do have one sentence capsule reviews for most of them. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, I've only I just I decided to go with a with a handful. Um, Why don't you go ahead so and I'm get gonna start. started then? I'm gonna yeah, start. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Um, I I finished Triples of Belleville and I rented that on Amazon and I wasn't tired and Sarah was asleep and I was like, you know what? Let's see what else is on Amazon. And was like, oh, lo and behold, uh, George Clooney's new directorial effort, The Tender Bar, is on Amazon. That was a surprise, and maybe watching it would be a good idea. Watching it was not a good idea. Um, I really dislike The Tender Bar, and I'm sure a lot of people dislike The Tender Bar. This is like, I've not read a single thing about this movie, but um, yeah, just, just what... What a nightmare. This is um this is a Ty Sheridan shit fest and I just can't handle Ty Sheridan, I I don't think. Ty and, Sheridan's in this movie? Yeah, he's uh he's the main character. He's uh he's JR. And that was another thing. This this whole this whole movie he's got a guy that. that just like named after me. That's that was rough. Yeah. Um named after me. He's much older than I am. But uh yeah, so JR's mom uh, Lily Rob, Rabe, Rob, I don't know. Mm. Uh, she He's moves Rob. with her son back home to her, uh, her f- cranky father's house, Christopher Lloyd, uh, who the movie, movie only occasionally remembers that he's there. Um, move back to his house and the whole like extended family is in and out of the house all the time. And, uh, just JR decides he really likes hanging out with his really intelligent, but undereducated uncle, uh, Charlie, who owns, uh, Owns a little uh, little bar, a little watering hole. Charlie hangs McGuire. out. Yeah, <laughs> hangs out at this bar. Oh, Charlie, sorry, Charlie's Ben Affleck. Right. Hangs out at this bar all the time. Um, this little kid grows up into Ty Sheridan, and you know decides like, I'm gonna be the smart kid in my family. Even though Christopher Lloyd also went to college, but whatever. Um, I'm gonna go to Yale, uh, and he meets a girl at Yale who doesn't treat him right, uh, but becomes his sole obsession, and. Um, so this kind of mediocre movie about uh, like a coming of age deal just kind of derails into this like insufferable drama of this guy chasing this girl who just sucks. Like she doesn't like him. She doesn't treat him well. And Ty Sheridan sucks anyway. So like this this whole relationship dynamic is is it's just garbage. Why does and he you just suck? want to get out of it? Why does he suck? Yeah. Um, I mean, like you're saying, he sucks. Like his I, character yeah. sucks, or he sucks in the movie. No, his his character is just kind of boring. Like he's just like smart kid doesn't know what he wants to do with his life. Is looking for himself. It's like just like regular coming of age stuff. But uh, just Ty Sheridan, I I swear, like I'm at a point with him where I'm like, I think he comes from like the Matt LeBlanc school of acting. <laughs> Like, he's just studied Friends tapes where he's just, like, trying to sell every expression, like, so big. And every director he works with just has to be like, Ty, stop letting your face do that. You don't, like, the camera, it's close to you. This isn't a sitcom. This isn't this isn't a play. You don't have to, to like, emote for the cheap seats, Ty. And uh, and you can just see oh him fighting that in every, in every shot. Um Anyway, Ben Affleck is uh, is the inspirational teacher character, and, uh, that, that trope. I fucking hate that trope. He's just like the teacher who gets to yell "fuck you" every once in a while because he owns a bar, 
Um, and, uh, you know, like, maybe the best characters in the movie are, like, the the, the barflies that you see, like, three times. Because they're, like, they're one note, and they're, they get the funniest lines. But, like, everyone in the movie is one note. But, like, it's okay that these characters you barely see uh, don't have a lot of uh, dimensions. Anyway, there's some father-son bullshit wrapped up in this, too. It's treacly garbage. It's shot in a way to mimic 80s coming-of-age movies. It takes place in the 80s. Uh, this is just like a go-fuck-yourself all the way around. I'm, everyone involved should be embarrassed. And uh, I don't know what the fuck Clooney's doing. This is, this is a nightmare. You don't know what Clooney's doing. Like, what? yeah, Clooney, what are you, what are you doing? You made what, a pretty good movie once. and Yeah, once. Twice. And then, he made two good movies, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I forget are, confessions. Yeah, um, yeah. his right. first two films are solid, and everything else is absolute trash after that. I, yeah, I just, the Midnight Sky was really bad. Leatherheads, I don't really remember, but that's just, probably for the best. Um, it's uh, Leatherheads is like I don't know what he's doing. You know, Leatherheads was interesting because it was like an experiment, and you could mm. you could feel that he had been working with Soderbergh so long that Soderbergh was trying to like like starting to rub off on him. He was going to do some weird shit, so he took that script that had never been produced in the 30s and just produced it as Leatherheads. Which, and it's like, oh, that's yeah, an interesting okay. idea. But it didn't work. Try, but to, it's like, at least try it, to do a screwball comedy. Yeah. You know, he cast it with people who should have worked in that screwball comedy. I don't yeah. think it worked. I don't remember it working. But uh, yeah, I remember being, like, yeah. really boring. But, I mean, uh, you know, yeah, he's just, I don't know. He's he, This is what he does now, this emotional manipulation kind of stuff, you know, where it's like... Yes these like like midnight sky was like that too right i mean i didn't see midnight sky but you could just tell from the trailer <laughs> of what it like what it was uh, you know i mean midnight sky also had like this problem where it was just kind of boring mm. and you could just you could tell exactly where it was going uh way before it mm. got there um just you know spoiler guys this uh this movie it made it onto my bottom 10 of the year Hundred hundred twenty one movies, you know, and you get to be in the same Fuck. same group as Space Jam and Cry Macho. One hundred and twenty one. <laughs> I'm at sixty two for twenty twenty one. That's cr- one hundred and twenty is out, out of control. I think Double. I'm in the teens. <laughs> Double what I have. We can do what bottom tens too. That'll be fun. Um, all right. Uh, well, I guess I'll go next. Um, I watched. Just you know, to go in a completely opposite direction. I watched one of the best films of the year. Wild Indian, directed by Lyle Mitchell Corbin Jr., and starring Michael Grayeyes as this character uh, who, like, the, this, it's an interesting film. The first half of the film is Michael as a child uh, living on, like, a reservation, going to school. Uh, he's abused by his father. His mother doesn't do anything about it. His name is Makwa at the time. And uh, then there's this like sort of horrible thing that happens to him slash by him. And um, it, it causes... A, it, and a normal person would cause a lot of guilt. But for him, it's almost like he uses it as a catalyst to change like his destiny, you know? Like normally his destiny would be to grow up and become like his father who is, like, this abusive piece-of-shit alcoholic guy who lives on this reservation, is dirt poor, you know, hates everything, who resents his family. But instead, like, this guy grows up to be this... He changes his name to Michael. He moves to California. 
he becomes very, very successful, and he uh, marries like a beautiful blonde lady played by Kate Bosworth, and they have a child, you know. But there's like this, like nagging guilt and uh, like black cloud over everything that's going on with his life, and it gets into like these. There are like there's themes in here about like um, the their culture or their history like the fact that like the things that have happened to Native Americans in the history of the United States and how that affects who they are as individuals now and I just felt like it was really really well done I love the direction of the film the actor who plays there's a friend of his named Teto and his character as an adult is played by Chasky Spencer. And this guy, who's apparently in all the Twilight movies, I don't know. But he uh, he's terrific. He's, like, really good. I mean, Michael Grayhaus is good, too. But Chasky Spencer is, has a few emotional scenes, and they're really, really nice. And I just thought, uh, I don't know, I was really pretty blown away by it. I think it has, like, shades of uh, Super Dark Times in it a little bit. Which, of course, you know, oh, yeah. one of my... One of my big films. Way to make sure that we never watch it, yeah. (laughs) You guys didn't like Super Dark Times? I don't honestly don't remember. But uh, I was thinking of that movie just the other day. Well, I remember there there's a scene where like uh, I forget which limb the kid loses, but like he's like the kid loses a limb, he's like geysering blood and he's running full clip. Mm. And I'm like that is so unrealistic. It just totally took me out of it. Um, I don't even remember that at all. <laughs> I don't know what happens in that movie anymore. I need to rewatch it. But, um, you know, it was a six out of five for me. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. I really, Wild Indian, I would recommend it. I don't know that it's going to work for you guys as well as it worked for me, but it's, it's, it's a bit huge for me. I loved it. It was one of the few sort of hidden gems that I thought I found this year, you know. You you want to you want to watch stuff that's sort of out of the mainstream, hoping that it's going to be good. And uh, most of the times I did that this year, it was a massive fail. <laughs> Things like the novice, like I watched the novice, thinking, oh, you know, oh, this is that? like something people aren't going to be talking about very much, and uh, it just didn't work at all. Oh, shit, I I have heard a little bit of talk about that. I was hoping that'd be good. The uh, novice um, and Wild Indian are both up for uh, Independent Spirit Awards, I think. But I thought the novice was my one sentence capsule review was amateur hour. <laughs> Just wants to be like a it has like this it has this like faux fincher aesthetic like you could tell they're working mm. off of um, the social network in multiple ways, which is a weird mm. decision considering how it's a movie about rowing. Like the the is fact it, that you would not like college rowing. Yeah, it is college rowing, but it's like why would you? It's a huge use part. This, of why would you use network. this? I know. Why would you use the exact same aesthetic from a, another movie about college rowing? Oh, you know okay. what I mean? It's and it's and it's sort of got similar themes like obsession with being the best and success and things like this. And um, yeah, I don't know. It just most of it was just a really bad for me. It didn't work at all. Sorry, Jr. I know you'll still watch it, so it's okay. I mean, eventually <laughs> I'll, I'll watch it in like 2024 when I've done the review. <laughs> anyway alright well that's it that's Wild Indian four and a half cool. great film oh real quick uh, was Michael Gray Eyes in the third season of True Detective yes okay 
He's uh, and he's also in uh, the New World, and oh. uh, Disney's Togo, which is that Willem Dafoe sledding movie. I don't know. And I know this much is true. He's been in some. I mean, he's almost like sort of like a character actor. I don't think he's a star usually of things. So it was nice. I always like that. I always think it's interesting when they take a sort of side character actor and let him be the star of a film, you know, see what they can carry the thing themselves. Also, just real quick, I'll mention that I watched two of Lyle Mitchell Corbin's um, uh, short films that he made prior to Wild Indian, which are sort of similar in that they're about Native American characters uh, sort of moving through the modern world and trying to adapt and live in like a predominantly like white society, you know. And uh I liked both and they were called Shanab and Shanab Part Two and uh they were both really good. So I'm looking forward to more stuff by him. Cool. And possibly more Native American cinema. I don't you know, it feels like something that isn't really uh talked about too much. I know yeah, that I Chloe mean... Chloe Zhao made a Native American film a few years ago that's on Paramount, I think, so maybe I'll watch that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, I've talked about Reservation Dogs on here. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, I need to watch that, too. Uh, that's good, yeah. Yeah, because, like, um, like, yeah, the, the series itself is really good, and, like, a lot of the, uh, like, the side characters, like, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but uh, uh, the guy who the the guy who's in uh, Dead Man and um, Wayne oh, yeah. Samurai, yeah, yeah, he, Gary Farmer, that's it. Oh right, Gary um, Farmer. Yeah, he's in it, and Bill Burr's in it for like an episode, and I cannot stress how good he is. Cool man. Well, yeah, I, I definitely want to check it out. I just haven't gotten around to it. Your go, Kevin. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> so, back, uh, back before uh, Christmas, Blake and I rewatched Tokyo Godfathers because we decided we we're going to make that a Christmas tradition because it's a Christmas movie, and it's it's still it still holds up really well for me. Like, it's still an like an easy five stars because it's just so wacky but emotional and it's like it has such an even pace and like you know it's it's really a shame that well i mean it's super sad that satoshi khan passed so early because he only made like you know four features and all of them are just great hands down great so so there was that, and then um, watched the Red Cliff movies because I needed some more Tony Lung and Takeshi <laughs> Kaneshiro, and they're both good. Parts one and part two, pretty long, um, and yeah, like half the time I was watching them, I was just like, "Oh, that guy'd be good for this character in uh, Three Body." The Three Body Trilogy. <laughs> You're just... Because I'm, I'm still waiting on the third book in that series. But, 
It's it's damn good. And it really uh, is. You know, if they are smart, they will cast people like Tony Long and Takeshi Kenoshiro. Or yeah, I mean, I hope, they, able. I hope they can get them. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I thought... Man, like, you think they're going to leave, like, uh, the setting as China and cast Chinese people? I don't, I don't know. I honestly have no idea what they're going to do with that series. Yeah, me neither. I mean, like, reading the books, it's a very international cast like within the books like there's you know americans europeans uh all this other kind of stuff and like while i was reading it like when they're actually in the three-body game i kept thinking like um even though patterson joseph looks nothing like von neumann i thought he would be a great von neumann just because you know you know you can it's a computer game you can play around with things um but yeah, and like, yeah, the entire time I was reading it, the second one, I was like, Leslie Chung would be perfect for the lead in this one. But um, yeah, he's no longer with us, so they're going to have not, to find somebody else. Not going to work. Yep. Cool. Yep. All right. I'll, um... Oh, real quick. Yeah. I know I know you're you're very you're very hesitant to give really high ratings for a lot of things, but you're also really hesitant to give like super low ratings too. So when you I saw that you rated that one one and a half, I was like, ooh, it's gotta be super awful. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> man, once you once you get into that like one star or half star place, you're mm. you're really I think you're making a statement. That's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. But yeah. You're saying that like you're you're watching something like Baby Geniuses or some shit or Baby Geniuses Two. I mean, uh, <laughs> like that on that level. Mm. And uh, I really try not to watch movies that are on that level. Yeah, I mean, like with Clooney, like I really really liked Good Night and Good Luck, but Suburbicon was a hundred percent trash from beginning <laughs> to end. I never saw that one. The um, like I thought, oh, it's Clooney, and he's directing a script that the Coens did. Like it can't be that bad, and it was. It was did, so terrible. Did he direct the one about the uh, like the Allied soldiers trying to like save the art from Nazis? I think so. Yes. Monuments Men. Did he direct that one? I think so. Okay, that's also stupid. Yeah. Um, they're all Another stupid. Like, really disappointing like i mean you know it's like a lot of those movies from like the 50s or 60s or 70s like they get these like insane ensemble casts and then it's a really terrible movie sometimes it worked but yeah Yeah. (laughs) many were terrible like murder on the orient express it was terrible (laughs) whatever (laughs) i was thinking like uh like the Dirty Dozen was really fun. Oh, he sucks too. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'm sorry. That is not a good movie. No? It's like three hours long. It's so boring. Oh my god. I can't stand the well, Dirty yeah. Dozen. They all had to be fucking long. That's for sure. That's true. Yeah. They had to justify yeah. having 900 people in them. Yeah. True. All right. All right. My, my next one. Uh, I watched The World to Come recently. That 
I don't even remember why that came to my attention. I saw it on someone's top ten list for the year, probably. Uh, and it's been on Canopy and Hulu for a while. Uh, and this one is directed by uh, someone I've never heard of named Mona Fastvold. Um, and it stars uh, Catherine Waters- Waterston. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, Catherine Waterston and Vanessa Kirby. And uh, Casey Affleck and some other people. And... It's a, uh, it's like a frontier, frontier queer romance kind of deal. Frontier and, uh, queer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Watterson and Casey Affleck, they're, uh, they're a couple, they're farmers in upstate New York in the mid 19th century. And they've, uh, recently lost their young daughter to diphtheria, which I don't think I know what that is. I'll, I'll look that up later. Um, the weather is shit. The money from farming is shit. Farming in general, just being a farmer, is shit. Uh, and the relationship has become shit. Everything at the start of this movie is just bleak, horrible shit uh, for this couple. And then uh, another couple, Vanessa Kirby and her husband Christopher Abbott, they move into a farm property nearby. They call themselves neighbors. It seems to take half a day to travel between these places so you know not like next door neighbors um couples interact kirby and waterston become friends kirby you know comes over to uh to waterston's house often just to like hang out have some company it's clear that kirby is unhappy in her relationship or in her home life we don't really know why for a while and uh you know we know waterston is at a low point they kind of uh you know they share they become intimate as friends, and uh, they eventually realize there's something something else there, and they become a different kind of intimate, um, which you know presents different set of problems in the uh, 1850s. But yeah, I mean, the actual plot of this movie just plays out. Uh, it just plays out kind of like you'd expect with uh, with that kind of plot. It's very serious. There's no levity and you don't get any kind of levity uh as we reach a you know the climax the end um and it gets even like once you realize what is going on between kirby and abbott it's like oh now now i definitely know where this is going um it's a relationship not the plot that though that matters in this and uh kirby and waterson are are really good um I just wish the plot was a little bit better and tried to earn its ending a little bit more. Uh, I don't know why Casey Affleck is in this movie. His very small role, maybe he's friends with the director, who knows. Uh, it looks great. He's got to take whatever you can get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess the most like, notable thing about this movie is uh, the score, which is like, very cello-heavy and just very very striking i was really into it yeah little uh nice done totally work but that's okay well uh that's a movie that was like half on my radar but to be honest i really thought it was from last year so i avoided it it was a it played like one small festival in 2020 and then had its like big Big deal premiere at hmm. uh, Sundance 2021. Yeah. So 
just another one of these antiquated lesbian dramas. I mean, how many of these things are we going to get? You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, it really sucks that uh, that the good one came first. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember the name. Oh, my God. Uh, Portrait of a Lady Portrait on Fire? Lady. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. Did Brilliant you guys see, did you yeah. guys see Ammonite? That was... No, or uh, no. Well, there was my also did, uh, and he said it was just a another crappy ripoff of Portrait of a Lady. So okay, and there's also that other the vampire one that came out a few years ago though, from Neil Jordan. Um, fuck, I don't remember that. No, it was I can't remember the fuck it was called now. Hang on, I'm gonna look it up. I have to. It starts cool. with a B. Um, anyway, yeah, I just, th- this, this sort of storyline and it's always women. It's never, it's like, it's, which is interesting about, uh, something like, um, power of the dog. At least it's like, it's sort of a, it's a story that we've sort of seen before in a lot of ways. I mean, it's different obviously, but this idea of like, you know, uh, male, se- male homosexuality in like a time when it's you know, definitely not something that was accepted or anything. And it would, it, and, and the repression of it and everything, but it's like, it's more often than not, it seems to be done with women for instance, for some reason. And I'm not really well, sure why, like, I don't understand because, the... because we want to see women naked, obviously. Right. Ex- yeah, but, ex- exactly. But that's no, like it, such a silly, no, I, you know what I, I mean? Know. Like that. The, the, I, there's like an inherently interesting idea, like these sort of period, uh, lesbian romances, like, you're usually we're setting it like we've got a setting where like a woman has no voice and no power and so the relationship becomes like this form of power that Mm. is uh illegal or just certainly frowned upon or deemed Mm. sin or whatever and i i think you know like that sort of like bucking against a uh just a rigid patriarchal social structure. Uh, I don't know. Makes sense turning that into a movie, uh, and it works really well in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's there's like all that stuff is in the world to come. It's just like not there enough. Um, like Casey Affleck and Christopher Abbott aren't like enough of a presence, and like Casey Affleck is kind of just like a. He's just like a sad dude. He's not like a, a domineering piece of shit or anything. Like, and not that he needs to be. That's an easy way to to show the the uh, society structure. But I don't, I don't know. It's um, it, it is interesting that we haven't had more power of the dogs though. The movie that I was talking about is called Byzantium, and it's actually from like not, uh, ten years ago now. But I'm not entirely sure it's a lesbian thing. But there are there's these two women, and they're both vampires. And one of them's older and one of them's younger. Saoirse Ronan is the younger one. So, I don't know. Oh, I feel like, I feel like in the trailers Saoirse, there was a kind of lesbian thing going on. I don't know. Was, Saoirse was one of the, one of the uh, main characters in Ammonite, right? Yeah, it was like her and Kate Winslet. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't see that one. I didn't see Ammonite. I, I probably will not see Ammonite. But it yeah. looks, looks rough, man. <laughs> this does not look like it's for me at all. Um, anyway... Uh, oh, you'll like it. The, the novice is a lesbian story, also though, Jr. So, 
Lesbians are hot right now, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, so I watched Nightmare Alley from Guillermo del Toro, mm. his follow-up to The Shape of Water, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's his follow-up to The Shape of Water? It is. It's Oscar-winning Shape of Water. And uh, this is not as good as The Shape of Water. Um, oh. it's, a, it's a remake. Well, he claims it's, you know, a cl- classic art house director move. It's not a remake. He's readapting the novel, you know. So, so anyway, I never saw the original. I hear it's quite good, but um, this is uh, this film is not horrible. It's got your your great Del Toro style, the sort of uh, atmosphere that he's so good at making this sort of a heavy Tim Burton aesthetic, like, you know, the kind of film Tim Burton ought to be making right now, you know, in Mm -hmm. his career, but Tim Burton decided to sell his soul to Disney. And, uh, it's got some really great imagery. It's got some cool moments of like, uh, like Bradley Cooper is sort of a scam artist in the movie. sort of, he's a scam artist (laughs) in the movie. And, um, some of the scams he runs are pretty smart and fun to watch. And, uh, I mean, I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want to give away things. Suffice to say, great, great ending. Great Twilight Zone ending. Killer. The last line, really wonderful, sort of wraps up. And you can actually, what's interesting is you can see it coming. The entire last scene, you you see it coming. You know exactly what's about to happen. But the way that it all wraps up is so nice. It just really, really worked for me. But uh, I will say it's about maybe 40 minutes too long. And, um, you know, some of these people who are in it, like, they're fine. Like, everybody's in it is fine. It's just that they're, like, it feels overcast, like, way too many people. Like, it doesn't need to be, like, Rooney Mara and Tony Collette and Richard Jenkins. Of course, he has to be in everything, you know. And it's like... And Ron Perlman, and I guess it's Mary Steenburgen is in it for like four seconds. It's just weird. Um, but, you know, it's fine. If you're in the mood for a little uh, little dark noir sort of... Is it uh, supernatural? Is it not? Very, very violent in parts. Your typical Del Toro doesn't have the same sort of resonance that Shape of Water had for me anyway i know some people have problems with that movie but um and holt mcelaney from uh fight club and uh the mind hunter show on netflix he's in this and he's quite good he has a little small role as a bodyguard and he's pretty fun and clifton collins jr is in this who is in a movie also that i wanted to see jockey Jockey. did you hear about this one yeah i wanted to see that not sure if it's is that technically going to be a 2022 release or is that did that release last year? Um, I don't I know. I feel like I just started to hear about it in the last like month or so, you know. But anyway, um, yeah. So this is also interesting to say. This is like Bradley Cooper's first starring role since um, that movie that he directed, <laughs> God, the Star Is Born, and uh, <laughs> you know. So it's a lot of sort of long time coming here you know and he's he's busy because he's also in one of the year's best films a future two-star film from kevin licorice pizza uh you know which i'll talk about later so that's nightmare alley 
Kevin. Uh, Jockey, sorry. Jockey is uh, 2021. It got released very end of the year. Fuck. It's just another one you gotta pile on the goddamn list. I mean, seriously, how many releases are there? Like, is there an official list? Is it like 290 or something? I mean, like, how many fucking movies came out last year? It's absurd. Thousands. (laughs) But it's like thousands. Features, though. Yeah. Now that, like, every streaming service is releasing movies, too, like, it's gotta be thousands. (sighs) Or 8,000. Now there's, like, no way to, you you could never watch them. Mm. You're just done. You can't make a comprehensive you list could, every year. What? What? Uh, what, what year? I mean, I'm just saying. I'm not saying. I'm not no, saying that. Never. I'm saying like, okay, even that list though. A thousand movies is ridiculous, right? Like, I'm not trying to see. Like, for instance, for me, I'm not trying to see uh, Spider-Man even, which is like one of the biggest releases of the year, right? So it's like just trying to see everything that's considered good or that would interest me. Even that list is overwhelming, right? Because I've seen 62 films now, and I've still got 20 left on the list that I can even think of. And then there's things something like Jockey that just comes along all of a sudden out of fucking nowhere in December, and all of a sudden I have to see it, you know? It's just annoying. Life is hard, and I don't know what else to say. It is really hard. I mean, you know, I'm glad I have uh, the ability to see the films I do. So, anyway. When are the Oscar nods coming out? Because I gotta know. I don't know. The the ceremony's <laughs> really late. Month. It's in March, yeah. I know. So yeah, probably f- February or like mid February, maybe. I don't know. Uh, mm. February eighth. Okay. Fuck. March twenty seventh for the announcements of the yeah. It's it's the ceremony. It's brutal. They're gonna have a host this year. They said. Oh, Ricky cool. Gervais. Oh, I don't know. Probably not Gervais. They don't want to seem to be... I don't think they want to be seen as doing anything that is lesser than them. You know, the Golden Globes is beneath them. I hope that it's Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, and Tom Holland together as, <laughs> as, a, host, as a hosting threesome. Like the James Franco debacle with him and uh, What's-Her-Face? Yes. You know who would be good. You know who would be a good host that they never talk about. Seinfeld. Get this guy up there. Let him host the show. So cynical yeah. and angry, or maybe even Larry David. Go full bore. Like Larry David. Larry David be pissed off the whole time. He would not do it. I know. <laughs> they could somehow. I don't know. They could blackmail him into it or something. Anyway, mm. well, it's Kevin. It's your turn. Anyways, man, go ahead. <clears throat> All right. Uh, you want to talk uh, French Dispatch? Hell yeah, I'll talk French Dispatch with you. Okay. So, French Dispatch is Wes Anderson's newest film. It's based on quite a lot of different journalists and writers, mostly from The New Yorker. And it's told in uh, three segments uh, with a kind of introductory segment by where... um, uh, Owen Wilson plays a journalist and kind of introduces the town that most of this stuff is taking place in. Mm-hmm. And it was one of it was one of the movies that I was really really looking forward to because Wes Anderson is basically my favorite director. Um, for me though, it was it was a lot. 
and it wasn't like like I was trying to like think about like think back to Isle of Dogs and like what makes what made those two films different other than the animation mm-hmm. um and I don't know like French Dispatch is not bad um it came I agree. in like um I want to say it's like number eight on my Wes Anderson ranked list. Like bottle, like bottle rocket and, um, Royal Tannenbaums. I like, I liked it better than, uh, those two. No kidding. No, it just, it, yeah, it just didn't really do it. It didn't do as much as I was maybe expecting or maybe, you know, thought it was going to do. I still gave it a, you know, four out of five because I think parts of it are really, really good. Um, he loves Wes Anderson, so, man. We are yeah, so dude. good at the like. We're, we're the opposite of Jonathan. We're not like greatest movie ever, three out of five. We're like this movie kind of sucked, but God, it's a just such a begrudging four and a half. <laughs> I have only I have only complaints, but mostly perfect. No, I mean, uh, like, I think uh, for me personally, the the middle segment I think was the weaker of the three. But, um, Can you like, remind us which one was in the middle? Was that... that was the uh, Chalamet. Um, mm, okay. Francis uh, McDormand. Yeah, revolutionary. I think deal. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah like um, I thought the first like like Adrian Brody is just, he's really good at playing a despicable character. And I found his character to be really Toro, similar. I thought was pretty good. Yeah, I liked Del Toro. I thought uh, Brody's character was really similar to the one he played in. Uh, budapest oh you're right yeah you know absolutely it's like i don't know yeah um little uh little little one note maybe i liked his performance but i just i thought uh i I mean i i liked i mean for me the the segment with del toro was was the segment i mean he and uh leia say do leia say do i mean just uh this was coming (laughs) look look She's just a beautiful lady. What are you gonna do? Um, but yeah, I thought both of them were great, and I mean, I thought everybody was really good in that segment. And uh, the segment itself was sort of the most interesting for me. I did not like the last segment at all, especially when it becomes animated. I was losing it. Oh. I was like, when it becomes animated. I was like, this is, I mean, it literally dropped like a star for me at that point. Like I was probably, I was probably going up to, I mean, it was at least at a three and a half. And then that animation starts and I was like, oh my God. And it's like, it's not even good animation. I was like, I was just like, at least it felt, you know what it felt like? It felt like, okay, there's a car chase here. We can't afford to film a car chase. So let's just Mm. animate it. (laughs) And it's just, yeah. Just change it then, man, at that point. I mean, it's just embarrassing. Like, he's, you think Wes Anderson at this point would have had the cachet to sort of do a little something bigger, you know what I mean? Like, if he wanted to. I don't know. I, 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 don't, know. I don't know if he wanted to. I mean, like, yeah, I know. The, that's, the dude that's... likes animating shit, and he likes, mm. with this movie especially, he seemed to like playing with the formats and the colors and mm, the, sure. all the but why all not? stuff. It'd be interesting if he animated it using like stop motion like he's been doing, you know, that that could be interesting mm. like a car chase and stop motion. Okay. Well, maybe? if we if we can't afford I a car chase, know. we can't afford stop motion either. I mean, that's 
<laughs> we can't. What's I mean, the you difference? probably couldn't afford the time for stop motion. <laughs> That's true. Um, I don't know. It's just it was just that that part really rubbed me the wrong way. But well, uh, one one of the thing one of the things in the movie that I I actually thought about you, John, mm. like the um when when they they realize that the cops are all there and all you know all the prostitutes and kidnappers and everything like pull out their guns and like they're all like staged oh yeah yeah firing i was like like it's definitely wes anderson's way like he he handles gunplay like someone who's literally never touched a gun and which is likely the case but it's like (laughs) it's so like you know it's so not like uh i don't know i yeah. I really, I, I don't, I don't mind that though. I mean, I like his movie is like he's got he's stylizing everything right. Like he's the least natural mainstream filmmaker working. Oh, for sure. Okay, like he doesn't make people don't act normal in his films. Everything is stylized. The set is stylized. The costume is stylized. The behavior is stylized. So the fact that they have guns, I'm happy that they're using guns with blanks. <laughs> like that. Yeah. If he, if he left that. I would, I'm out, I'm out all the way, you know, it's just like, the fact that he's, and I feel like that's part of his aesthetic, is that, like, I don't think he would use CG, like, gunfire, Mm. like, I don't think, I, I, you know, it's the same thing as, like, he still shoots on film, right, I mean, like, I think, uh, I think he's one of these, sort of, like, he's got such an affinity for the old school way, you know, for the sort of old-timey, you know, both aesthetically and Historically, sorry, I'm trying to find he's, if he shot it on film or not. <laughs> oh, I mean, he he's kind of like Nolan in the sense that he's a traditionalist and he wants mm-hmm. his movie shown at theaters and he wants the theater experience to be there. Thirty-five millimeter to yeah. do film, yeah. He shot on film. Um, he presents himself differently than Nolan does, but of course, but no, I I agree that the the Jeffrey Wright segment is maybe I don't know. I, I don't know. It's it's definitely not my favorite. I like the Benicio Del Toro one, but the the Jeffrey Wright one has like the the zany Wes Anderson thing going that I mean should just be very familiar to us. Like yeah, I, don't, I don't know if it's I mean, bad. I I didn't need the animation, but that's like where he you know the movie feels most like a Wes Anderson movie in my head. Uh, I can in see that, it in in those moments. I like the Owen Wilson one a lot too. Yeah, and um, I could have used more Owen Wilson. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> what else? I'm trying to see all the oh, Life Aquatic. I'm I'm sorry, I don't have a. Uh, I just realized I don't have a ranked list of his films, so I'm making one real Whoa. quick. But I haven't. Also, I haven't seen everything. Believe it or not, it's uh, also weird. I haven't seen Darjeeling Limited or Isle of Dogs. Those are the only two I'm missing. Yeah. Like, one of the one of the things that I thought about in the middle segment, I was like, oh, this is very, uh, you know, like, his kind of, like, oh, now it's, uh, now I'm going to show my French New Wave fandom. Yeah. Which, you know. That was definitely. I'm a big an, fan of French New Wave was, unless it's Agnes Varda, so. Definitely an Antoine Duanel segment. The, uh. Like the Francois Truffaut 400, uh, 400 Blows yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. 
Oops. Sorry. Whoa. Whoa. Just knock my microphone. No, yeah, I agree. Professionalism, people. I thought, and I, uh, he, he seems to like, yeah, he's like, um, like all the political stuff in that one. Like that kind of rubs me the wrong way too. Like the idea that he's sort of like, I mean, I don't think Wes Anderson has a powerful stance on any of those things. I think his stance is that Mm. it's silly, and that when the when the revolution was happening in France in the sixties, that it was silly, or that it it's people, it's kids, and so it doesn't amount to anything. So who cares? Let's all uh, have fun and. make silly movies uh, that are claymation but i don't i don't know i don't know i don't you know i guess i would i don't I, that that it bothered me a little bit that sort of like flippant attitude towards that time period but i liked chalamet in the in the uh and mcdormand in that section i thought their performances were pretty and the girl who's in that i forget i don't know her name um yeah uh, like Kudri or something like that yeah Kudri. Yeah. sure i don't know yeah sure <laughs> Oh yeah, Kudri. It is. It's Lina Kudri. Yeah, she's all right. Mm. She's pretty good at it. So but yeah, um, yeah. I'm, right. I'm still looking forward to his next movie, um, and who knows? It, I think I don't know. Like I think we're you know by the nature of anthology films, you know each thing kind of has to stand on its own, and you know you only get things like memories you know, every so often where everything is just perfect all the way through. So. Right. Yeah. I, you know, this is your favorite filmmaker. You don't, don't jump off the bandwagon after one uh, four star movie, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, even, even that, you know, like, like the lowest I've rated any of his movies is four stars. So I still like what he does. That's just, too high for Darjeeling. Yeah, I don't see that's that's why I haven't watched Darjeeling. It's comments like that that keep me away. I don't know. JR is like, it's like no. If I want to watch a Sat Yajit Ray movie, I'm gonna watch a Ray movie. I mean, yeah, that is true. But his yeah. movies don't have American actors in them, so. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> way more fun with american actors right absolutely all right jr cool i'm gonna um yeah sorry uh i watched passing passing is uh rebecca hall's directorial debut it's on netflix excuse me it's a netflix original i believe um Mm. and it is about the act the dangerous art and of uh you know, passing as a white person when you are black. And uh, this takes place in the, uh, you know, the 1920s New York City. And Tessa Thompson is experimenting with passing for white kind of in bougie stores and restaurants. And she runs across a uh, childhood friend played by Ruth Nega, uh, who is just very deep into this life of passing. I mean... She's dyed her hair blonde. Uh, she's got a white husband and a just deeply bigoted character played by Alexander Sarsgaard. She's got this swanky Manhattan condo. Um, and, you know, Ruth Negga kind of 
she sees Tess Thompson and sort of wants to reconnect with a past that she has just left so far behind. She's buried this part of her identity so deep um, that she tries to kind of not infiltrate Tessa Thompson's life, but just to like be a part of it, be around uh, Tessa Thompson and her family, kind of experience her friends. And uh, it is a major disruption it is not the disruption I initially expected. When I heard about this movie, I expected these two would come across each other and Tessa Thompson would go more toward uh, Ruth Nega's lifestyle, like where they would uh, both try passing more. Uh, and that is not what happens at all. Tessa Thompson's character is really interesting, though. She's She kind of lives between worlds where she's like just hyper educated and is really like trying to be part of these sort of like this intelligentsia and like goes to all the, the jazz shows and has high-minded conversations um with white people uh who of course at the end of the day just will not accept her as uh being on their level but it's uh i don't know all that stuff is really cool really like tessa thompson a lot uh and i liked the f- sort of relationship dynamic between Thompson and her husband, Andre Holland. Um, once Nega is kind of involved in their lives. And um, I don't know this uh, Thompson and Nega are both, both incredible. Hall's direction is beautiful. Um, black and white was a great choice first, just for making like the, the passing kind of believable where we, you know, we were seeing, light and dark skin tones without actual uh color and um she uses light and dark a lot just in the way she's telling the story and um i like that this movie takes sort of like the less movie drama of the the past that it could have but it chooses to end the movie with that kind of big dumb movie drama moment and just and like it ends on a bad note, um, got a bad taste in your mouth. That meant I couldn't go full four, and uh, this couldn't be in my top ten. And uh, yeah, but it's it is worth watching, and people should watch this. And hopefully, people feel differently than I do. What time period does it take place in again? The the twenties. Oh okay. And lots of lots of like those bobs, uh, like the haircuts. Um, is that what they're called? Like the, uh, I think I so. Um, flapper. Was like yeah, we're we're we got the flapper flapper full flapper outfits. Okay. Yeah. I was just Gatsby. wondering if there was any like communist elements in there. N- no, I mean, is she we, a part of the communist intelligentsia? <laughs> no, like so. Andre Holland really wants to leave. America. He wants to go to South America. He he's a doctor in the movie, and he wants to go somewhere where he'll he will be appreciated. And there's some definite like anti-American capitalism sentiment coming from him. Mm. But no, no. Uh, no he's a doctor. Mm. Yeah. What's in he, the film? Yeah, he can't be a doctor. Black people can't be doctors. Like what? He played that? a he played a doctor on the Nick, is what I say, and it's the same thing. It's like oh. he's black and he's trying to be a surgeon, but they don't believe he can be a surgeon because he's black, and it's like 1901. Oh shit! And he says that like he studies in France and shit, and he's like he's like I you know I'm I can go to Europe and be a doctor, but I can't do it here in New York. Mm. 
Dude, I did not know that. Yeah, that's uh, Andre. Why are you taking the same rule twice, dude? I don't know. The first one was offered to him by Soderbergh, so you have to do it. But I don't know. I don't. Rebecca Hall did an awesome job. I hope she directs more. Oh, she directs more, and I hope she acts more because she was fucking awesome in the Night House. She's doing the next pitch perfect. She's directing. That sucks. No, I'm just kidding. She's not really. I just made Jesus that up. Christ. <laughs> you suck. You see all the color drain out of JR's face. Like, what a fucking bummer. Uh, you just made me sad. That I was kidding. Ruined. It's not true. It's not true. As far as it doesn't I doesn't matter. No, she's not doing that one. She's doing a Charlie's Angels sequel. Okay. That that didn't make enough money, and now we're just attacking Elizabeth Banks for some reason. <laughs> I know, right? I... Elizabeth Banks must like look at Rebecca Hall's films and say, "Oh my God! Like, what have I done? What am I doing?" Mm. Elizabeth Banks just out there to have fun, right? Right. Nothing wrong with that. Um. Okay. Well. Uh. Sorry, I'm uploading my quizzes for tomorrow for my kids. Uh. <laughs> I watched West Side Story, the uh, mm. remake of the 50s film. 61? 50s? Was it 50s or 60s? It's early 60s, right? It's like 62 or something? I don't anyway, know. whatever. Um, directed by Steven Spielberg. You know, the Spiel. And uh, starring Ansel Elgort, who everybody hates now. I don't know if you guys have seen the hatred for Ansel Elgort, but he's like, he's been canceled. What? They're done with him. He's the worst. He's had apparently he's had like um, a sexual assault allegations or something, and everybody oh. hates his guts. So like all the reviews well, on this movie on Letterbox are like Ansel Elgort blows, but this movie's okay. <laughs> like, <clears throat> and uh, and I would agree that he is the worst thing about the movie, mm. not because of his sexual assault allegations. I mean, I'm sure he's a piece of shit person. Whatever. He's not a very good actor is the problem, uh, and he's sort of like a void of charisma. But everyone else in this movie supporting him, with the exception of Corey Stoll, who's also terrible, but uh, everyone else is great. <laughs> um, I really liked, uh, for instance, Ariana DeBose, I think is who I'm referring to here, who plays Anita, who is like the sister of the main character, Rachel Zegler's character, Maria. Yeah, that is Ariana DeBose. Okay. Ariana DeBose is really terrific in this, as is her love interest, Bernardo. No, is it Bernardo? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> this is the problem. See, I don't remember these people now. David Alvarez? Yeah, that's him. Bernardo, David Alvarez. That guy's great also, as is Rachel Zegler. Everybody's talking about Rachel Zegler, though, so I'm trying to point out the ones who aren't being talked about as much. But, um... And Rita Moreno. Rita Moreno is great in this. Uh, even though she's like 150 years old, she's really terrific. And uh, has a really great scene towards the end of the film where she calls out all of these people in this gang for being rapists. And it's just a really like powerful scene. It's really, it works really well. And I thought that the movie was just a lot of fun to look at. It's like absolutely stunningly gorgeous. It's very, very colorful. Um... And the thing that kept popping into my mind as I'm watching it was, how has Spielberg not made a musical before? Because this is all he does is choreography, right? Like, every one of his films is so heavily choreographed. How does he not just, like, 
made that next step and choreographed dancing instead, you know, <laughs> people dancing down streets and, you know, flying out of windows and things like this. It's just, it just, it, it's, it's such a no brainer when you watch this. It's like, Oh, obviously he could do this. Like it makes total sense. Like the guy is just annoyingly good at making movies. Like he's just a, he's like a very, very skilled technician mm. who is usually more often than not soulless about his films, but he'll make something that's just really well made and just like tight and, you know, it's hard to find fault in the technical aspects of his work. And this one has a little bit more heart than some of his other films have recently. And I think it's, you know, probably his best film since Munich, in my opinion. Yeah. If you like Munich. I like, I love Munich, so, <laughs> you know. I think uh, I wasn't expecting much, and this was like a big, a really nice surprise. I'm trying to think if there's been a, a good movie in those 16 years. I don't think so, and I haven't seen all of them, but, oh, like, po The Post was brutal. <laughs> I, yeah, mean, I mean, maybe, like, Bridge of Spies might be the best one. Yeah, that's, time. yeah, that's okay. I mean, it's, even something like that, it's just, like, Bridge of Spies was so boring. <laughs> and it shouldn't have been. It, it's called Bridge of Spies. It should have been... <laughs> should have been a fantastic like fun spy movie and it's just like yep. it's the most boring fucking courtroom drama when uh when if sarah and i were watching been good yeah when sarah and i were watching uh don't look up and uh she was like why do i recognize like the apple guy like uh <laughs> yeah. like the tech guy mark rylance yeah. and i was like oh because you we watched him in a bridge of spies and she was like no I don't remember that because that movie was really boring. <laughs> and that's fair. Uh, She's don't right. Look up. It was terrible. Not good. Don't no. Look up is bad. We we can talk about it if you want. I don't need to. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I think I let, let me read my one my one sentence review. Okay. <laughs> don't look up. That'll that'll do for it, right? E. Don't look up. Uh, manipulative editing is a nightmare. Funny bits though. <laughs> there are little bits yeah, in there that really, were funny. Just really into that repeating snack bit. No, I did not like that at all. I felt like a Seinfeld thing. It felt like they were really riffing heavily it on Seinfeld at that point. Did feel like a yeah. Seinfeld thing. And I was I'm not into that kind of shit. But I really liked almost everything Jonah Hill was doing in the movie was working for me. Until that last coda to his character. I did not like that. But everything else up to like that was good. So, you know. It's it is what it is, you know. I just it's Adam McKay blows. Like who likes Adam McKay? I'm just I'm I'm really glad that people are seeing it though. Like people are now realizing how, how much he sucks and like that I this mean, movie sucks and <laughs> I just he's the, the worst. people the problem is that people are gonna be like, Man, he just really fell off after don't like with Don't Look Up and I'm like mm. <laughs> he fell apart and has just like consistently sucked since yeah. um the big Step Brothers short after, after Step Brothers. Everything oh, thought, sucks after Step Brothers. I thought the other guys was funny. The other guys is okay. I agree. Once he once he left broad comedy, he's terrible. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I did. Well, I did catch uh, part of the other guys at my mom's house like a while ago, and I laughed pretty hard. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, it, it's it's funny, you know. But anyway, uh, West Side Story. I would recommend it. It's, I mean, it's really long, but 
you know, whatever. It's oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna it's see it. I'm, I, you know, I don't know. It didn't make any money. I don't even know if I can go to a theater anymore. And I don't have time to go. Like all these two and a half hour movies that came out over Christmas were really just. Oh yeah. They made it so that like I never had time to go to a theater. I was yeah. sitting in like a like a car dealership, like waiting for my car to be fixed, and it's far away, and like Sarah was working, she couldn't come get me. Um, and I was like, oh, I'll like get an Uber and go see a movie. And just like every single movie was two hours, uh, mm-hmm. two two hours and thirty five minutes. And I was like, oh, I guess I won't do that because that's a four hour experience. <laughs> hey man, Sorry. you got to do what you got to do. You got to pay the price. Okay. Yeah. I know, and I I don't. It's gonna be so long. Like if I don't go see like licorice pizza in a theater, yeah. like, it's gonna be so long until I can see licorice pizza. Hey, you're fucked, mm. but I don't know how you haven't seen that yet. Oh, I also say Mike Faced, uh, who plays Riff in the film, his performance is a lot of fun. He's not good exactly. He's way over the top, and like his accent is like super goofy Brooklyn accent. But it's just I don't know. I I found him very captivating. So I don't know. Yeah, West Side Story's good, man. Sorry. Sorry um, to you Spielberg haters. I don't want to. Okay. Calm down. I'm excited. Anyway. Okay, well, who's who's next? Who goes after me? Kevin? Yeah, I'll, I'll do a couple real quick. Do it. <clears throat> Finally got around to No Time to Die. Too long. Oof. Boring. Yeah. I, I still I still do not understand what people see in Rami Malek. He's the <laughs> same character in everything that he does. He's monotone. That's his thing. Everything that he does. Isn't that right, James? <laughs> I man. I don't I don't understand. That's like, pretty accurate. That's pretty I, I, I get it. I get it. Like, cause when the material, when, no, no, sorry, I don't like Robbie Malik. I, I think he's been pretty bad in every movie I've seen him in. Uh, but man, like that monotone shit works, and that Christian Slater show just fucking works. Yeah, I mean, anyway, uh, yeah, so yeah, ridiculous, and anyway, uh, and I finally got around to seeing the card counter. Which uh, didn't do didn't do it for me. Like, what was? Uh, hold on, sorry. I have I have a very vested interest in this. Um, who or what didn't do it for you? Was it Ty Sheridan? Because Jr. understands. <laughs> I'm. I mean, I'm fishing for I'm fishing for the Sheridan answer, but yeah, Ty Sheridan didn't do it. Um, Tiffany Haddish wasn't horrible, but it. Eh, I don't know. It was like the I, the, yeah. the scripting was clunky. It's it's weird and it's like the script gave Haddish like the worst fucking lines anyway. Like she's just because she has to deliver all this information. I just I didn't that was a bummer for her. But for for Sheridan, it's like the last third of the movie only works if you give a fuck about Sheridan. And uh and I didn't and I and I kept trying to figure out why Oscar did. Why Oscar Isaac, why are you interested in this? Like I, I understand, like, you've got your redemption thing going on, but mm. the attachment to Sheridan's character, I just thought, like, we didn't get enough information, and we didn't get enough between the two of them for it to ever make sense to me. 
Yeah, I mean, it would have been it would have been better if like I don't know, like if maybe Sheridan had like some dirt on Oscar Isaac and he was like threatening him. So like maybe there would have been like a back and forth, but it's just like you know, like clear your debt, go see your mom, clear her debt, and then you know he dies off screen. Well, he was uh, accounting for his own guilt, right? By like the yeah. things that he had done in the past, but I agree it's just, it's a little bit messy because the things that he did don't really correlate to mm. Ty Sheridan's situation. So it's like weird that he like that's the way that he's going to fix it in his mind well, is by I, like clearing the guy's debt. Like I, don't know. I guess I, I I wonder if Schrader just thought this this idea uh, like it, it's like redemption, uh, like. Ugh. Isaac wants this redemption and he thinks he's going to get it or maybe he'll feel redeemed himself if he can do this for Sheridan. And I, I wonder if Schrader you know, did that on purpose. Like, yeah, there's a huge disconnect here because Isaac has disconnected from humanity and, and through from everything like that. But just it doesn't sure. work. I'm okay right. with that. There's, there's that, but <laughs> just also doesn't like work. Ty Sheridan's, like the, the character, there's nothing to it. Like, well, you know, he's he's not he's not yeah. doing anything. He's just and he's the fact that he just happened to be in this. I mean, yeah, he was tracking down Defoe's character and somehow recognized Oscar Isaac's character. Like, I yeah. felt like there should have been more to that. Like, yeah, that was... you know, like maybe maybe Sheridan's father who, you know, like he that he's trying to revenge like maybe like instilled in him some of the you know uh, you know black ops uh, psychological warfare stuff right. and like but no there was just and yeah, it was he bland he could have cast so much of it he could have cast anyone Paul Schrader you could have mm. cast anyone you didn't have to cast someone where you were constantly just trying to stamp out the Matt LeBlanc until Ty Sheridan just wasn't moving his face at all. Like his version of understated was, uh, was just cardboard. It was, was bad. It's fair to say though, that, uh, obviously, I mean, Ty Sheridan has sort of quietly been making himself into like the art house darling. Right. I mean, like this is the kind of movie that he does like ever since, the Spielberg thing tanked. He's been working with these directors like Schrader, doing these smaller dramas. Yeah, he was, you know. he was in Ready Player One tanked. Oh well, yeah, I mean, it didn't uh, do relative well. Relative expectations. It, I mean, it it made a oh, okay. fuckload more money than West Side Story has so far. But uh, the, um, <laughs> I mean, expectations and budgets are obviously a, mm. a huge difference in consideration there. But uh, man. Ty Sheridan, like, do you guys remember? I I think I reviewed on this uh, on this very podcast the uh, like the mm. night clerk, where he's oh, like yeah. the yeah. Um, the uh, like uh, Asperger's uh, night clerk of a they hotel. Should have got Rami Malik obsessed. Yeah. yeah, God, that movie, like this guy, like it's at a point now where yeah like night clerk was probably going to be awful no matter who was in it but i can't tell i can't tell if he's ruining projects or just choosing bad projects I had and no the car kind of was not a 
Car Counter is not a bad project. I had no idea I you hated Ty Sheridan so much. Well, I didn't know I did either until this double whammy of the Car Counter and the Tender Bar. It was a bad couple, bad couple weeks for me and Ty Sheridan. What about uh, his turn as Cyclops in the X-Men films? Yeah, I mean, he's, he was in those. He's in the two worst, or maybe, I don't know. Uh, he's, he's in, he's in two bad past. X-Men. He's in two bad X-Men films. Is Isn't that he why future he is? He's yeah. So yeah. that's the connection. Oscar Isaac was like, "Get my boy, Ty Sheridan, Paul." Oh right, me and him had together. Yeah. had great scenes mm. in X Men Apocalypse. I don't think mm. I don't think they had any scenes together. <laughs> well, I'm sure they fought or something at some point. Yeah, yeah, they must have. Whatever. All right, what were we talking about? How did we get on Ty Sheridan again? What happened? Card counter. Oh, that's right. Card counter. Okay. Um, Oscar Isaac is really good. Right. Yeah, he's solid in it. Um, he's the best thing about it, for sure. Mm. Uh, okay. And Defoe for, like, the total of five minutes that he's in it. Yeah. Defoe <laughs> is always reliably great. Mm-hmm. Um, weren't you, weren't you going to talk about another one, Kevin? Oh, go ahead. I mean, uh, let's Do see. It. Oh, um... Finally, finally saw Last Duel. That was really good. Um, like, I appreciated that they didn't try to do like fake French accents and just you know French French words and French names. They said like you would say them, but the rest of the rest of the time they were just speaking in normal their own mm-hmm. voices. Mm-hmm. Except for Matt Damon, who is oh, doing yeah, some yeah. sort of affectation, but I. I think they all for me. They all dip into affects um, well, at different times. I to be it's fair, like um, like what um, what's this? Keith Carradine, who was in the Duelists, he said um, he had like what he called a mid-Atlantic accent. Yeah, where it, like wasn't like fully British, but it was like kind of more more proper, quote unquote. You know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's fine. It's I don't I don't have a problem with it anyway. I, a lot oh, of people yeah, get hung up on shit like that, but I, I don't. Who cares? You know, it's like even even like Matt Damon and uh, I think Matt Damon and Driver and uh, Affleck they all sort of it's just by virtue of the kind of dialogue that they've written. Mm. They they dip into this sort of like uh, aristocratic British. Yeah or British mixed with French accent, you know, at, at certain points. And I don't know, it's just like, I, you know, like it's completely irrelevant because of, it would be, it would be something that you would nitpick if the movie was bad, but the movie isn't bad. Yeah. No, the and quite I, good. No, the movie's good. I, I'm not, yeah. and I'm not nitpicking Damon. I, sure. Damon's affect shows up the most in his telling of the story, which I, mm. Like he's into making himself oh, you think seem purpose, purposeful. Yeah, he makes yeah. himself yeah, yeah, yeah. seem smarter, better, nicer than uh, we learn that he is, and I love that. I thought yeah. that Dan was great. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody in the movie is great. Um... Agreed. Yeah, I, I, I will mean, say I, I don't really have more to say about it than you guys already did, but like, well, I, I actually um, I rewatched it. Uh, oh. Yesterday or the day before, I can't remember. But I, re- 
I rewatched it in order to juice its rating because I knew it would go up at least half a star, and it did. It did. It did. Oh shit! You're, it did. Uh, you're with it's me wonderful. now. Yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, um, it's actually shocking how good it is compared to Ridley Scott's output over the last, oh say, 40 God. years. It's, it makes <laughs> no sense. Yeah, but what I, the one thing that I noticed immediately going back into it is this, and I don't know if JR, you might have mentioned this. I know I didn't because I didn't think about it, but um, that opening scene when they're at the, when they're preparing for the duel and it's showing her getting dressed with her two maids and them getting their armor put on by their servants or whatever. That juxtaposition is so, like, interesting in terms of what the themes of the movie are. As in, they have to, they, they need help to get dressed in this armor, right? They have to put on this armor and it takes, like, lots and lots of energy and multiple people and everything. It takes lots of time. And this is for them to go into battle and, like, one of them's going to die. You know, it's like a very serious thing. And then she has to have two people help her get dressed just to go out to do anything, right? So it's almost like she has to put on armor every single day to go do anything, you know? This like, to, to, to sort of almost, like, um, reiterate how difficult life is if you're female in, the, in, in that time period, you know? Not only are you powerless, but you have to go through all these rituals that men only have to go through in like the most extreme of circumstances you have to do them daily you know which yeah. is like absolutely absurd so i was like that a lot like right away in the first five minutes of the movie, I was like okay this is this is great <laughs> like i'm already way in and then the mm-hmm. battle sequences are fantastic a little bit goofy at times but i still love it like there's it's so extreme at certain points like when he puts the sword in that guy's chin and then he drags his head down on the sword. <laughs> so ridiculous. I will say, though, this might be a little bit of a nitpick. I love the film, but it is a little bit telegraphed that Matt Damon's going to win this duel at the end, right? All they do for the first 45 minutes of the movie is show how good Matt Damon is at fighting. Yeah, Like, yeah, he's I mean, the best. He's even, invincible. Even he kills other, everybody. Um, yeah, like even in Driver's, you know, um, uh, version, like mm-hmm. yeah, like he saves his life first, and then you know, uh, Matt Damon saves his life after that. But like, right, you know, but like in like all of the segments, like you know, yeah, even Driver, driving driving Driver comments about that to Affleck. He says something like, "I wouldn't <clears throat> wager against him in a battle." Yeah, and it's like. You know, it's like, well, obviously then. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But it's still great. And the blood, that last duel is I, I'm like wonderful getting, as well. I'm like scratchy thinking about it. It's like, not like because I'm excited to rewatch it. I <laughs> just gave me like a visceral reaction. That, yeah. That, oh, yeah, yeah. That battle's fucked. <laughs> uh, I guess we should have done like spoiler alert. We are three of the roughly 47 Americans who saw this movie. Yeah. Uh, it's true. So, oh well. Whatever though. I mean, Matt Damon wins. Loss. Fuckers. They they should have. Mm-hmm. You know what? It's history. Also, you can go read the yeah. Wikipedia page of Jean de Carouge and see what happened. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, I really, I really liked it a lot, and you'll see how much when we talk about our top tens. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um. Oh, is this is this me? No. No, it's, it's the it's JR, me. right? It's okay. Me. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Cool go. it. Anyway. Uh. I'll just mention Relax. briefly. Um, 
<laughs> Sorry. Uh, Bad Luck Banging, or Looney Porn, mm-hmm. um, is a Romanian new wave movie that came out, directed by Radu Jude, who has done a few just kind of weird movies. He's he's kind of jumping all around with uh, the kind of stuff he's making. And this is about a teacher who makes a sex tape with her husband. And um, that sex tape was uploaded onto like a private site where people share their amateur sex tapes. And that sex tape then gets uh, unknowingly uploaded onto like a Pornhub type deal. Um, and her kid, like her students see it. It's, it's like the, the parents know about it. And um, we have her dealing with the aftermath of that. And uh, this movie has a really just bizarre structure where, you know, first we see them making the sex tape and it is just full graphic, unsimulated sex. It is, it's porn for five minutes, you know, and uh, it's amateur porn. And then, you know, we have this kind of like walk and talk movie where she's mostly like dealing with her phone and like a very realistic 2021 Romania, like everyone's wearing masks and stuff. This is, this is that movie, um, you know, dealing like this is set in a pandemic and, uh, then things get weirder. And I think that this movie has the scene of the year, like my favorite scene of the entire year, uh, which is pretty long scene. And, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm making it official. This is the best. This is the greatest teacher film of all time. Of all time. And we never see her teach. There are no there are no kids in it. But we see her interacting with parents and I she's she's my hero. Greatest teacher movie. You still have to fuck seen yourself, the Robin Williams. You got to see the substitute though. Tom Berenger. Okay. Well, I didn't say it's the greatest substitute movie. He's a teacher. Relax. <laughs> anyway, I meant to uh, I meant to watch this and I just didn't get around to it. But I was actually going to watch it at work, so I'm glad that I didn't. Oh Jesus, <laughs> what, what? dude! I didn't know it was like graphically sexual. I mean, yeah, but I mean, it's got porn in the name. I mean, and, and so what? <laughs> after those like, first five minutes, there's nothing graphic, but uh, those first five minutes are graphic well i'm glad i avoided it then because yeah i'm also glad that you did that yeah (laughs) jesus stop watching r-rated movies at work i don't know what it's rated. is it even rated it's not rated probably (laughs) not it's not rated (laughs) r-rated movies anyways porn in the name i know i that's what that's probably would have stopped me anyway you're stressing me out they would have seen me watching and be like what are you watching porn mr (laughs) like no 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 (laughs) It's you very high-minded this, Romanian yeah. art film. <laughs> it's a foreign yeah. film. You don't get it. <laughs> um, anyway, I uh, I watched. Uh, well, see, like I, you know, I really had to really start to like think about what I'm doing here. I watched Matrix Matrix Resurrections, Lana Wachowski's Matrix Resurrections, and uh, it's okay. I don't even know why I'm talking about it. I don't have much to say about this movie. It's uh, has a couple of good action sequences. It sounds like a train wreck. Yeah, it's just cars. kind of um, I don't know. It was kind I of. I don't it, think it's a train wreck. I don't think I, it was. I don't think it was a train wreck. It was just like 
it's certainly attempting something that it does not achieve, in my opinion. And uh, I would rather it was just like a more hard sci-fi action film like the first one, as opposed to this sort of meta commenting on itself, commenting on sequels, commenting on Keanu Reeves' career. I, it's just, I don't know. I didn't need all that. I would rather it was just like a normal action movie. And even the action is like... Some of it, like, it's very digital looking. Everything looks very digital. Obviously, it's, you know, shot digitally, and it doesn't seem like they had... It doesn't... It's weird. It doesn't feel nearly as expensive as the original, and I know it's probably twice as expensive. So, take that for what you will. And Jada Pinkett Smith is awful. Awful in this. Yeah. Like, embarrassingly bad. And her, her... her plastic surgery and her gigantic cheekbones, they try to put old person makeup over them so she just looks like an alien. Like, she looks totally bizarre. It just doesn't work. Uh, yeah, that's not... I don't know. Yeah, I have nothing good or bad to say about this movie. It was that's a movie fair. that I watched, and... I, After the first hour, I no longer hated watching it. But I, I hated that first hour. I guess I can say, um, you know, to rinse the taste out of our mouths about Matrix, I watched uh, Drive My Car, which is uh, the Hamaguchi film. One of two of his films this year. I didn't see the other one, Wheel of Fantasy and Fortune. I have it. Thank you, JR. And he wrote. Just quick note he also wrote the script for um, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's movie that was released this year. Really? Um, yeah, which is called Wife of a Spy, I believe. This guy is busy as fuck, eh? Yeah, Wife of a Spy. Um, yeah, I've heard about that one. I saw the trailer for yeah. that. Um, it's good. Drive, it's good. Sorry. Yeah, Drive My Car is really uh, good. It's extremely long. But I will say that out of all of the overlong Hollywood fare that we've gotten, this actually, the, the length seems to serve a purpose. <laughs> And, like, it's deliberately paced, and it's... You're watching this character at the center of the film, um, played by Hidetoshi Nishijima, who's awesome. Uh, You're watching him sort of deal with the trauma and grief of losing a loved one. And... I don't know. The, the by the end of it, he reaches a re, he reaches this real catharsis with the help of his driver. <laughs> this sounds so ridiculous. He reaches the <laughs> catharsis with the help of his driver, played by Toko Miura, who is also amazing. I think that's Toko Miura. Yes, she is. In fact, I would say her performance even outshines his at certain points. She's wonderful. Um, but yeah, just a really nice, calm watch you know that made me really want to buy a red sob this car that he drives is amazing (laughs) the sound of this vehicle starting is just oh my god it's so beautiful yeah love to drive my car um and it's also got something that is a little bit of an easy win for me the main character is a theater director and an actor and so a lot of this movie is about the process of putting on a production of uncle vanya which I'm way into. Like, I'll watch anything about, like, 
people doing play shit behind the scenes, you know, that's always interesting to me. It's sort of like, I'm not going to talk about All Light Everywhere, JR, but I did just finish it, and I feel like the last five minutes of this documentary, All Light Everywhere, is that's the movie I wanted to see. Like, I would have <laughs> killed to see that movie. That might have been on my top ten. Yeah. A movie about the making of, like, these kids trying to make a sitcom pilot? Fucking great. <laughs> like, and I don't, and I have no understanding of why they included that in the end of the film, why they would n- feel the need to say we didn't include it in the rest of the film we were going to, but we decided to cut it out. Okay. <laughs> I that don't movie, know. That movie was a roller coaster of things. That I was like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's dumb. It's just yeah. like, <laughs> I felt the same way. Yeah, I was just like, I, there were so many interesting things sprinkled throughout it. And then there were these long periods where they were just hang on conversations that I thought were just meandering and meaningless and anyway but anyways um not to get sidetracked on that uh drive my car is great check it out i'm gonna watch this is one of the 2021 releases uh his other film is one of the 2021 releases that i will make time for at some point to uh round out this list yeah but but, you know and it is shorter wheel of fortune fantasy is two hours instead of three yeah no problem could do that easily yeah definitely check out drive my car and i mean it's almost like a foregone conclusion to win best foreign film i think i mean at this point everybody's talking about it yeah sometimes they're fucking weird uh with that category it it should definitely get nominated though which is Mm -hmm. cool i hope i hope i hope it a movie i haven't seen i hope it wins (laughs) i really want to see it i hope it wins too Anyway, go ahead. Whoever's next. Kevin. Um, so I finally got around to watching Spine of Night. And yeah, I, I, I think like you, John, I was expecting Exordium for an hour and a half and oh, yeah. didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, it has moments of Exordium. It's like there's yeah, moments of sure. that brilliant sort of speculative twilight zoney sort of uh you know interesting ideas and he's certainly like i mean there are images from the film that are exactly the same in fact but Hmm. i found a lot of the uh some of the voice acting to be rather questionable yeah i think lucy lawless was really hamming it up Mm. um i thought uh richard e grant was really really good Mm -hmm. as the guard Patton oswalt was brutal he was pretty bad. Like, he was absolutely terrible. <laughs> yeah, and the lady from, um, I don't remember her name, but I remember she was the maid in Get Out. Um, she was decent, but, like, I don't know, the the story was not about her in the least. Mm. Um, but, yeah, and, yeah, the animation, like, I know they were going for that, you know, they were going for like Ralph Bakshi, like Fire and Ice, but like it just it was not there. Um, yeah, I mean, well, it's 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 obvious that they're doing everything with like computer programs. Like, um, mm. I mean, I don't even know what they're using, but it's like it's it's obviously it's not going to look as good as Bakshi because he's drawing over film, you know, like with paint, like mm. oil paints and shit. I mean, like he's yeah. the shit he's doing is insane, but. 
I, I still like the aesthetic of rotoscope and I'm, I look forward to them doing more stuff. I just hope that they'll sort of, if anything, I would hope that they would spend more time on it, on the mm. actual image itself, maybe add some nuance, some shading, things like this. Like it just feels very like Corel paint draw. Like it doesn't, you know what I mean? It looks like, yeah. <laughs> it looks like some, it looks like a plugin almost that somebody just like, they filmed something and then they just like added like a filter so, over mm. it to make it look. Tick, TikTok filter? Yeah, yeah, sure. There probably is a TikTok filter. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. But I still think the ideas are pretty cool. I mean, some of them don't work, but some of them are are pretty solid. And I mean, just going back to Exordium, like Exordium Mm. is just a a wonderful little short. And I think, uh, if nothing else, just make more shorts, man, you know? Yeah. And also, like, like a way to make people hate librarians, man. Jeez. (laughs) This is true. Yeah. True. You should get a t-shirt of that guy. For real. <laughs> Kevin, have you listened to Welcome to Nightville? I have podcast? heard about it so like much over podcast. the years, but I've never actually listened to it. I mean, it's it's cool. It, it's good. But they're, you know, one of one of their things is the uh, don't talk to librarians, don't look the librarians in the eye. It is implied the librarians are not human, and you definitely don't go to the library for books. You will not get book fair. Nice. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, yeah. So yeah, Spine of Night. Pretty pretty solid. How did you watch this? You sent it to me. Did I? Okay, that's making yeah. sure. I, I couldn't remember. Like four. Because I know it's ago, on. But... It's on. Um, it's on Shutter. So those of you who have Shutter could watch it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Blake had a trial uh, of that a, a while back, but I don't think yeah. he really enjoyed it. So that um, I might do a trial for Shutter. There's the uh, the four hour documentary about folk horror that played at the Denver mm-hmm. Film Festival that I was definitely not gonna go see, but you know, you know me and my folk horror, fucking love it. Uh, ch- that's on Shutter. <laughs> you should check out Cursed Film Season One. Oh, also if, on yeah, Shutter. If I do the trial, I will definitely do that. It's wonderful. It's really right. good. No, no free ads. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. What's uh? Is it me now or is it Jr? Well, I can't. It's me. God, I can't keep up. To, you're, you're trying to I'm erase sh- me from this. No, podcast. I'm just trying oh, to like God. figure out what the what the move. No, is I was a. Uh, this will be my last one. I was just gonna. Uh, oh wow! Do a, Jesus. I, I, we can't do this forever. We have. No, you're right. We have I'm a gonna... review to get to. Plus, we have top tens. I have yeah, three yeah. of my top ten movies to talk about, so I'll just wait till the top ten to talk about them. How about that? Okay. Sure. Uh, so again, I watched, uh, you know, I watched a Criterion Challenge movie each of the first three weekends of the year so far, and uh, the first one was a watch a movie from the year you were born, and um, I watched a really cool documentary from Barbados, and uh, it's called. Time and Judgment, A Diary of 400 Years in Exile, and it's just generally about, you know, African uh, diaspora. Is that how you say that word? Mm-hmm. Okay, diaspora. thank you. Um, through, uh, throughout the 80s, and it's framed and has these interludes um, that are like a very kind of like sci-fi performance art, kind of like biblical style, like of people delivering prophecy. It is... 
it's bizarre and it's uh it's totally unique it's really cool i never would have heard of this like this movie isn't even on imdb um but it's on letterbox and it's on the criterion channel and uh what's it called again time and judgment a diary of 400 years in exile thank you um Next thing I watched for the nineteen was the the nineteen twenties movie. I watched Black and Tan, which is a uh, part of the Jazz Shorts collection on the channel. So yeah, I cheated, according to you guys. Um, and this is a uh, it's a short starring Duke Ellington, and I had no idea that Duke Ellington did any acting. And um, yeah, whatever. It's like a amusing late era silent shorts from nineteen twenty nine, and it's it's fine. And I've already forgotten what it was about but i enjoyed it when it was on and duke ellington is really cool like you know is he yeah what yeah of course he's fucking cool i guess jesus okay um and the last thing i watched uh was the 1930s pick it was merrily we go to hell which uh is actually in the collection Uh, i hadn't seen it yet it's from dorothy arzner um it's like an 80-minute melodrama from that early sound pre-code era, um, you know, where everyone is standing around, like they're standing still, and they're standing around objects where there are clearly microphones in because they can't move. Uh, so don't have good microphones yet. And, um, sorry, it initially presents as like a Thin Man style, like, uh, you know, we've got fun witticisms and we're really drunk all the time and like that kind of thing. And then it reveals it as uh, not that, because the dude <laughs> drinking all the time, Frederick March, is like a legit alcoholic journalist who's just kind of like wasting away uh, at parties until he like just kills himself from drinking, I guess. Um, and he meets, you know, this beautiful, super rich heiress girl, Sylvia Sidney, who, of course, just falls madly in love with this wastrel who sucks. Um they get married, March uh, gets sober, and then he immediately like runs to an ex-girlfriend that he still loves, uh, starts drinking again, and the couple tries out like a semi-open relationship. Um, this is like very romantically progressive. Uh, you know, fuck the code. Um, yeah, I don't know, March's char- like Freddie March, his character is such a fucking douchebag, undeserving of like any love at any point in this movie. Uh, that it makes like his whole redemption arc just feel stupid, um, and of course this is like he's got alcoholism, but he's just blaming the women around him for his alcoholism. Even when he decides to get sober, he's like basically tells ex girlfriend like, "Oh, it's your fault. Um, I'm not going to accept any responsibility for my decisions here." And uh, yeah, you know, I don't think uh, I'm not saying alcoholics should blame themselves for alcoholism. But uh, they certainly shouldn't blame the people around them who are just hanging out. Yeah, um, movie's not great. Dorothy Arzner is a a rare female director in the 1930s. It's awesome that she was working in Hollywood. I think, John, haven't you... Didn't you watch one of her movies on YouTube once? (laughs) Fuck, I don't know. Dorothy what? Arzner. Arzner? Yeah. Dorothy... How do you spell Arzner? A R Z N E R. 
Maybe I made this up. I probably made it up. Mm, you might have, dude. I don't know. I've like, yeah. all nineteen of her films are right here, and I have not seen any of them. Okay. Mm. Did I watch one of her films on YouTube? No. I'm. There's some. Like, are you thinking 30s. of story? Story of Temple. Uh, yeah, Drake? I am. She didn't direct that. That's not a female, right? No, it's not. No. I just I lost my mind female. for a minute. All right, I'm sorry. Let's move on. Let's it's move on. Good. Should I watch this woman's stuff? I don't know. Probably not. Some I mean, Clara Bow stuff in there. I've seen two movies, and neither was great, but um, I don't know. I'll probably watch more. She did a World War II film called First Comes Courage. Looks kind of interesting. It sounds up my alley. All right. Um, lastly, I'll just say that I watched uh, Come On, Come On, Mike Mills' new film, which, although it looks quite beautiful... The cinematography is wonderful. Everything else about it I find extremely objectionable. Um, I hate uh, the sort of... Uh, you know how you know the Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing? Yeah. This has the Manic Pixie Dream Child. Like, the little boy is a Manic Pixie Dream Child. Like, he's so quirky and eccentric and wise beyond his years and strange and so cool to be around and completely unbelievable and ridiculous and uh Joaquin Phoenix is practically asleep during this movie um Gabby Hoffman you know I like Gabby Hoffman she's in Girls she plays Adam Adam uh, Driver's sister in Girls she is just out of her depth in a movie like this trying to emote and be a real person it just doesn't work and I will say the most offensive thing about Come On Come On is that they Mike Mills edits out what is probably the best performance, which is Scoop McNary, who plays the child's father, who you see in these sort of, like, cutaways and flashbacks, and it seems like he's doing just wonderful work, and you barely see any of it. There's talking over these scenes, like, you can't hear what he's saying. I just like, what? Like This is the film I want to see. I want to watch Scoop McNary be a bipolar psychotic psycho case you know like this is what i want to see but it's not what we get and unfortunately uh, what we get is uh just a real snooze fest a real boring lame uh precious cutesy artsy fartsy I'm not interested part of it's in new orleans i, I hate it i hate this movie <laughs> just i don't know why you hate new orleans so much but you know whatever I don't, you know, it's, I don't know, who knows, whatever. Anyway, um, yeah, oh, I guess, like, well, I mean, if that's, well, I guess, I, Kevin, I'm not can, making you, no, 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 it's fine, I'm, I'm just wondering, I'm wondering when to talk about Salvatore Giuliano, because Kevin didn't make, didn't, uh, wasn't able to watch it, so I don't know so when I should failed. talk about it. After Kevin goes. Okay, Kevin, well, go. Um, let's see, well, I watched, uh, Man on Fire. Uh, yeah, that's a weird choice. What's up with that? <laughs> Jesus. No, I just like it. Just seemed it was like it was completely out of nowhere. I was like, why would he watch me? I was trying to figure out why you would watch Man on Fire, and I was like, maybe it's because of Macbeth. Is that why? Because you want to see another Denzel movie? Well, Sharon wanted to watch it. Oh, it's just something. It's a random. We just want to watch this. Yeah. Okay. I just I was wondering if there's some connection to something. I was like, that seems like so out of left field. I mean, like. uh 
like I, I was interested because of Denzel, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, and yeah, like the first thing that struck me, like seeing seeing him in the DVD menu, was like, look how young he looks. Uh, <laughs> it's almost twenty and, years uh, ago. Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, um, not a fan of Tony Scott in general. Uh, did not like the like um, you know the kind of like flashing like yeah. Um, That's a late late Tony Scott stuff that he does. Mm. I'm not a fan of that either. Yeah, I mean the movie itself is actually pretty decent. Um, you know who surprised me? Who was like actually really good? Mark Wait. Anthony. Oh, I was gonna say Mark Anthony. He's in the substitute. He's wonderful in the substitute. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, he's really yeah, good. Like, he is good. Yeah, like the his his final scene when like Denzel's like uh, you know confronting him about some stuff, and then his wife confronts him, and like he gets yeah. you know like you know I inherited his debt and his mess, like not over the top, like just just right. It was he's really on the good. right. Yeah, he's at just the right level of anger and uh, yeah. He's good, yeah, and he's he's underrated as an actor. I, I, he really hasn't done very much, I don't think, which is too bad. He was in uh, he was in, in the Heights this year. Very small part, though. It says he's in Carlito's Way. I don't remember him in Carlito's Way. He must have been a baby in that movie. Yeah, that's a movie I have seen a lot. <laughs> I mean, he was born in '68, so. Oh okay. Well. That was like um, what, 80? 93. No, 93. He would have been 25. I just don't remember okay. that. I don't know. Maybe he he's had also, like, Oh, yeah, that's right. He's in Bringing Out the Dead. I forgot about that. He's like the uh, oh. crazy. He's like a crazy person in that movie. Like a street person. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I'll tell you. Okay. Anyway, yeah, Man on Fire. I saw this in the theater, and uh, mm. I'm with you about the aesthetic. I hate Tony Scott in, in like the last maybe 15 years of his career he sort of got into this like it's like oliver stone on acid it's just like way too much it's yeah, constant like flashes and overexposures and shit it's out of control and yeah. uh, the editing is ridiculous mm. but i think uh, i remember denzel's performance being solid and hit yeah, the, the him and Dak- dakota fanning was like huge at the time like she was a little, oh, yeah, this little yeah, kid yeah. who was like you know up and coming and yeah, I mean, I she them, was them she was good. really good. Christopher Walken was really good. Hmm. Like you know, Walken like I don't know, he's kind of a goofy thing in a lot of the movies that he's in. You know, sure. Um, but he was really good. Uh, Rachel Tacoten, I guess is how you say it. Rachel Tacoten's in this. Yeah, she's the journalist. I see. I didn't even remember that. I love Rachel Tacoten. Yeah, she's really good. Uh, she's in falling, Giannini. falling down. One of the greatest films ever made. She's yes. just, she's wonderful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, did you know but that? Yeah, I, uh, man, did you know it's a remake? No. There's an not. '80s '80s film starring Scott Glenn, Man on Fire. Interesting. I've never seen it, but it's like it's from like 1988 or something. How I is this was, two and a half fucking hours? Sorry, I'm just looking at this movie. I've never seen it. <laughs> you ever seen Man on Fire? You're no. fucked. I'm not, a, yeah, I'm not like a, a Tony Scott cool. head, you know? Tony Scott makes long movies at that point in his career, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. I, but, um, I, think, I think there was some kind of maybe expectation of this being a bit of a prestige picture, like mm-hmm. maybe Denzel might have gotten an Oscar nod or something for it, but it's really not that kind of a movie. Right. 
Like, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, it would have been better if it was a little more straightforward and, you know, like, just know what it is. Like, it's a genre crime film, and, like, that's yeah. not a bad thing. No, nothing wrong with that at all. But, yeah, all after, right. that, um, after that, all I have is Macbeth, so. Okay. Um, yeah, we got to talk about Macbeth. See, I forget about these things. Uh, but we can talk about that when we get to our lists. Sure. Because I'm sure it's on your list. Uh, I can no guess doubt. what position it is. Um, <laughs> so I watched uh, Salvatore Giuliano, which was our Letterbox Roulette film from last week. And um, it's on the Criterion channel, of course, because it's a it's one of those old-fashioned Criterion uh, DVD cases, you know? <laughs> yeah. this, was a, this was one I saw a lot on the shelf at the main library before they remade the main library the old main library and i've actually i think i rented it more than once and never watched it and uh i don't know say what i did that so many times yeah at the library classic you have to because you because they let you rent so many then i get like you know 10 movies and i don't watch i watch one or two of them and then it's time to bring them back you know that's a that's Um, a dollar a day for every day yeah it's brutal Uh, used to be used to be it's It's 50 uh, cents now and you can get 15 at a time and you can always renew that's how they fuck you say um anyway uh salvatore giuliano by francesco rossi i liked this movie i had some issues with it but i really the things that i really liked about it were the um some of the directing choices like for there's one particular moment where there's a gunfight that happens in this town at night and they like right when it happens they kill all the lights in the town and so you're looking at a black screen i mean it's just completely black and all you see are the flashes of gunfire and it reminded me so much and there's no way he didn't lift this but it reminds me of the sisters brothers that opening scene in the sisters brothers where they fight on the prairie and it's like completely dark and all you see are the gun flashes and you hear everything and i always loved that about that movie so i really appreciated that in this one and um I think that this movie is really bizarre. Like, there's no, there's not, there's like no central character to this movie. There's barely a character, like any character, to sort of follow the the events. Like Salvatore Giuliano is not in this movie. It's like, I mean, he is like barely like in sort of like in the periphery of certain scenes and things. But for the majority of the time, it's just like, it's these. Uh, vignettes or like certain scenes of events that are leading to his death or that happen after his death people trying to figure out who killed him and why what exactly happened um and then it's like showing how he became this sort of uh, folk hero for the sicilians and but but all all through the gaze of like various characters at various times and you never quite know who anybody is and then at the end of the film the last like 30 minutes of the movie suddenly we're in a we're in like a courtroom drama which for me never a good sign like you don't want to end your film as a courtroom drama it's just a big mistake it, it just bogs it down and it feels so boring compared to everything that was leading up to it 
but then it's like all of a sudden we're introduced to uh this character Gaspar or Gaspar who is in the movie but not like he's not the central character up until then he's been in a lot of the scenes before but all of a sudden it's like he is the central character and you sort of follow him through the rest of the f- the film which are these scenes uh in the court and at that point i was a little checked out i really i'm not gonna lie i was having trouble paying attention to things <laughs> and uh because they're just t- they're saying a lot of things and you're reading and you're just trying to keep up and i'm just like i don't know how much i give a shit like i just want to see more of these beautiful action set pieces that they had at the beginning of the film and uh stuff like that so I don't know, just at the end of the day, I had to give it three because I think the first half of it, maybe more, worked pretty well. But the last 30 to 40 minutes really drug and didn't work for me at all. Shame. So, that's what you have to look forward to, Kevin. (laughs) Not to bum you out, man. You might like it, you might find it to be wonderful, you know, who knows? I don't know, we'll see. Anyway, uh, that's Salvatore Giuliano. So let's move on to our best of the year, 2021, top 10. This is very exciting. (laughs) Who wants to begin? We'll begin at number 10, I guess, and then take turns. 10, 10, 10, 9, 9, 9, 8, 8, 8, so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Sure. Who wants Uh, to go first? I first. guess we'll just go in order like we've been doing, yeah? Oh, okay. Yeah, that sure. would make sense, right? <laughs> go ahead. Uh, my number 10 is Val. Oh. Yeah. Val, oh, nice. <laughs> That's my number 28. <laughs> it just shows how many 2021 movies I've seen. I understand. I understand. Yeah, Val is decent. JR? So... Ten, my ten was complicated. I, uh oh, I couldn't. I was, I had these three movies, and I was like, Dune or Power of the Dog. Which one deserves to be in the top ten? And for both movies, it was like so much I like about both these movies, but like the final product uh, is just so flawed, and I just couldn't pull the trigger on either of them. I was like, we just got to go with what was number. Uh, was number twelve, and that's Petite Mama, the uh, the new movie from um, Celine Siama, who did Portrait of Lady on Fire, about uh, this little girl whose grandmother has just died, and uh, it's just like this very sort of like sweet, but not like treacly, like not overly sentimental and like everything is shot at this kind of like weird distance so it's not overly emotional but it just i don't know it's uh, it's kind of hard to explain and it's this little like 70 minute movie and it's uh it's also all shot at their at the child's perspective right it's like at their their eye level which is interesting like really makes the film stand out as like something different it's like everything is like three feet above the ground (laughs) it's pretty interesting yeah it's um I, I don't know. As I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is like a, just like a nice little 70 minute thing. And it's, it's like really stuck with me. Mm. Um, yeah. Liked, liked it a lot. That's good. Yeah, it was good. It's my number 15. So just, just out of the, out of the top 10 by a few, but 
Unfortunately, the Suicide Squad was better, so... <laughs> I, have, I have nothing to say to this. <laughs> My number 10 is uh, The Beatles Get Back. Um, mm. Peter Jackson's megalith of a documentary about the Beatles, which was, you know, I don't... People have seemed to be sort of uh, back and forth on it, man, but I just thought it was engrossing and a lot of fun and interesting just like just relentlessly interesting to see these you know these guys work and what their processes and stuff like that and the sort of uh english politeness of everything you know like they they don't they're never getting like screaming matches with each other you know which is something you would imagine you'd see in a like a, the band is breaking up and they're it's falling apart but they're always just sort of like oh well i don't know you know it's just like it's always very just very uh kind of subdued so I really I really enjoyed it. I did I did hate the sort of um manipulation of the film that he did for this. I wish it would have maybe looked more accurate to what it was. It was shot on sixteen. I think it's something that worked really well for uh They Shall Not Grow Old, that that sort of manipulation of the film stock, but in this situation I think it's a, a detriment to it. But Solid anyway. So, can you uh, can you guess what number Get Back was on my list? We had 120 movies, so I'm guessing 60. No, it's 15. No kidding, that's pretty high up. Eh? Gave it, yeah, four four star movie. I know that you gave a, it four. I just didn't. I th- I would assume you gave a lot of movies four, so it might be like bottom of the barrel four. You know. Mm. Anyway, Kevin. Uh, so number nine. This m- may be controversial as far as times go, but Uh-oh. like uh, Green Knight, it's not controversial. No, it's all good. Okay, it's controversial is how like low February. it is on your list. Oh jeez, uh, I'm kidding. No, it was like, that came out in the summer. The, uh, yeah, was yeah. it? So I thought it was like March or something, but uh, one of those. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah, Green Knight. Green Knight was also lower on. I was number eighteen for me, but. I'd like to rewatch it. I'm All right, gonna um, I'm gonna. I'll just mention this one, and I'll let you guys uh, take it uh, a little bit. But my number nine was the tragedy of Macbeth. Oh dear. And uh, wow. so yeah, I, it's gonna come back up. So we'll just we'll just leave it there for now. Yeah, that's fine. Sure, yeah, sure. It's, it'll definitely come back up. <laughs> um, that's a that's obscene. That's an obscenely low ranking for. That. I'm glad it made your top ten though. That's that's mm. happy. My number nine was Spencer, Pablo Lorraine's Spencer. Have you? Did you know that Pablo Lorraine made another film this year, Jr. in twenty twenty one? Did Emma come out this year? What came out yeah. this year? Twenty twenty one, Emma. Okay. And yeah. I have not seen that, so I kind of want to see that. But Spencer was great, and uh, yeah, it's my number nine film of the year. It was higher before other things came out. I talked about it before on the podcast, so yeah, let's move on. <laughs> right. So number eight, uh, Vivo, the Netflix uh, animated Lin Manuel Miranda movie. Oh, yeah, I, I thought it was really heard good. Of this. Vivo, never heard of it. Yeah, that reminds me. I did watch um, the first ten minutes of uh, Tick Tick Boom. Mm-hmm. And I had to bail. <laughs> like 
I was I was losing it. I was like, I cannot. I don't think I can handle this. I'm zero percent surprised. <laughs> I'm really like I feel I felt bad about it. Time too. I was like I was like I like I know this movie's not going to be nonstop what this is right now, but this is making me cringe so hard. I don't think I can handle it. Like I gotta leave. <laughs> it's so brutal. Oh, Viva. Okay, so it's like a CG thing. All right. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard of this. Yeah, it's, has, a, it's a, you know, it's a cute little movie. Hmm. Kevin, has your household been watching like many things like Encanto? Uh, we might if we had internet, but um, oh, okay. we don't yet. Um, it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's on it, it's it on might. Disney Plus. Yeah, uh, we'll, Encanto is. Yeah, we'll probably see if see if they have any interest. Cool. cool. Did you see Encanto, Jenna? Uh, no, not yet. No, that's uh, that's one Sarah wants to see. So we we guys got to find time. This we is can watch movie, it together. I think I suggested to my daughter that she watch this because she's always looking at Disney Plus and like, what I want to pick what I want to watch. And I was like, hey, this is this one's new, and she was not interested. She does like the toy from McDonald's though of the strong woman. She loved that. <laughs> and uh, sorry, and I I brought up Encanto because that has songs written by Lin Manuel. So a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of Lin Manuel this year. That guy is all over the place in 2021, eh? Right. You saw that Cho movie, right? That shitty Cho musical that he did. D- me? In the Heights? What? In the Heights. Oh, JR. Sick. Yeah. He yeah. didn't direct that. He just he but wrote and it. created that musical on Broadway. Yeah, he yeah. is he's yeah, the he worst. You guys are out of your minds. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh okay. Uh, my number Kevin, yeah. so now it's yours. <laughs> Yeah. My number eight uh, is bad luck banging or loony porn. Uh, mm. I like the porn more than Macbeth. Jesus Christ! <laughs> all right, that, that's uh, uh, <laughs> hey. Look, you know what? It's all it's, subjective. Fair enough. That part's you know a joke, but again, I think this movie just does some uh, some truly brilliant things, and it's uh, it's just it's also just fucking weird and unique. Is it bad that I'm thinking about changing my order right now? Fuck. Yeah, we should have <laughs> sent these to each other beforehand so we couldn't cheat. I don't know, I know. what cheating would entail or how cheating. one wins. I mean, yeah, it's not cheating. It's just I am just like looking yeah. at I'm like I don't that doesn't seem right to me. This Anyways, my number 8 my number 8 movie is uh Judas and the Black Messiah, which was great and I wanted to rewatch this before this too, but did not have the time. Had to watch Euphoria and uh, ER reruns. <laughs> you promised you wouldn't talk about that. You know what? I, I highly recommend Euphoria Season 2, Episode 1. I haven't seen the second episode yet. It premiered last night. But man, that first episode was so entertaining. <laughs> it really, really good. Anyway, um, yeah. Jews and the Black Messiah. Solid. Which... I think was uh, nominated for Oscars in this this past year's Oscar ceremony, yeah. but still, it's a 2021 release. So, yep. Kevin, uh, number seven, Last Duel. Way low, way low on the list, <laughs> bud. <laughs> you must have nothing but four and a halfs left. That's crazy. Four and a halfs and fives, eh? Uh, let's see. No, I guess I do too at this four, point. We got a few fours, then two two and a halfs, and then one six out of five. 
You got a two Ooh. and a half on your top ten? No, two four and a half. Sorry. Oh, I thought you said two two and a halves. All right, my number seven is Dune. Erasing me again. Just constantly. Oh, sorry. Constantly skipping me. <laughs> I'm sorry, JR. I'm the worst. Uh, I, gotta, I gotta mark that to edit that shit up. That's embarrassing. <laughs> 740. I'm sorry. So, uh, so my number seven is uh, the movie that I, I feel like got the biggest eye rolls from you guys when I was talking about it. It's uh, it's The Night House with Rebecca Hall. Again, just uh, folklore elements. Ugh, Rebecca Hall performance. Ugh. Awesome gross. script. You're Give me a gross just sound more. Like, Give me more. <laughs> I didn't make an eye roll at this. I downloaded no, this kidding. to watch it. I want to yeah. see it. I'm, I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Is it my turn now? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's your turn. Um... <laughs> My number seven is Dune. <laughs> uh, Denny Villeneuve's Dune, which I think is his is Denny Villeneuve's second best film behind Sicario. Which you reviewed twice and had only negative things to say about. I I know that's why it's number seven. Believe me, it was it was number one for a while, and uh, the more I discussed it, the more there's just things I just I don't know, man. It's just not. What, it's not everything I wanted it to be, you know? Mm. <laughs> I mean, we can get back into it. I can talk all day about the problems I have with the Fremen, but uh, <laughs> it's still a very good film, and I look forward to watching it over and over again on the lead-up to Part 2, if Part 2 ever actually happens. Mm. <clears throat> Kevin? Uh, <laughs> number si- My number six is Dune. Hey, nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. I had problem. I had problems with it too, but like, it was, it's, it's solid. Yeah, it's solid. Yeah. Jared, I uh, my six is uh, no sudden move. The uh, Steven Soderbergh <sighs> movie produced for HBO Max. Um, you know, sucker, sucker for Sodi. Sucker uh, for Sodi. What about the new one, Kimmy? I'm gonna fucking watch it. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if yeah. it's bad yet. And it doesn't it, look very uh, good though, right? Am I right? It's uh, a little shaky. Looks a little shaky. You know, we'll see. Trailers, trailers don't matter for, for Soderbrook. <laughs> yeah, I'm going in there with an open mind, and also I just like his stuff. Um, no, no sudden move. A little, a little uh, high on your list. I have it at number thirty. So love, <laughs> love the performances. Love the vibe. Uh, love where the plot goes. That's it. All right. I mean, yeah, it was good. Um, I my number six is uh, Wild Indian, which I just talked about. Mm. So go check that one out. It's good. Let's see, <laughs> my number five is No Sudden Move. <laughs> oh, nice. I like, I like that a little a bit of overlap here. It's okay. Yeah. Hey. Sorry, it's, I it's to be expected. It's gonna get real bad in our in our top threes, I think. I absolutely Yeah, I mean i I don't know why. I just I forgot that you also liked that movie, Kevin. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah. That's right. <laughs> Alright, my number five is the Green Knight, also already mentioned. Uh this movie just totally beguiling and beautiful and uh 
a great great theater experience loved it mm. yeah um my number five is kenneth brenna's belfast which i found just utterly charming and wonderful and so well acted and syrian hines if if he's not if he doesn't win i'll say it right now if he doesn't win the oscar there is no justice in this world best supporting actor syrian hines all day every day the guy is fucking great and uh it's just a really lovely little movie, and it's good to see Brenna doing something sort of stripped down and personal like this, as opposed to these gigantic CGI, just bloated, trashy movies that he usually does, you know? Mm. So, yeah, check out Belfast, man. Get on it as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. So, uh, number four, French Dispatch. Fair enough. All right, yeah, obligatory my, Wes Anderson film. Gotta gotta get that disappointment in the top five somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing but bad things to say. <laughs> yeah. My number four, I think, is the uh, it's the only one left that we haven't I haven't talked about on the podcast. It's uh, Azor, which uh, hmm. was on movie. I'm pretty sure John did not like this movie. I didn't but, um, dislike it. I think I gave it a three. Okay, it was yeah directed by uh, Andreas Fontana. It's about a Swiss banker who uh, whose partner disappears in uh, in a you know communist dictator uh, Argentina in the I think it was early eighties. I wish I had taken notes on this. I wish I'd taken notes on this because it gets uh, fucking complicated and a lot mm. of names and there's no hand holding. And a lot of the small details have uh, have left uh, my brain, but I was uh, just enwrapped with what was going on in this sort of um, this upper crust sort of uh, group of just shitty people who are getting by with this dictatorship that is just like whisking people away. People are disappearing left and right, and uh, there's just such decay. It is. I was, I was a big, big fan of this this movie's mood. I had uh, two notes for it. Score of the year, great score. Oh yeah, really weird, uh, minimal, and uh, most subtle detective story ever. It's like a weird detective thing. Like he was trying to figure yeah. out where this missing guy was, but it was like really like in like it seemed like inconsequential to a certain degree. You know? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I think... it was, it's really it is. I mean, at the end of the day, he's he's there also to like secure his clients and the money, mm-hmm. and uh, finding the partner is uh, is a secondary concern, and that right. is eventually made pretty explicit. Yeah, it was a weird one. <laughs> My uh, number four is Red Rocket, Sean Baker's film about the retired pornography actor who returns to his hometown of Texas City, Texas, which is a real place, where he meets Strawberry, played by Susanna Sohn, who is uh, like this, you know, good-looking jailbait sort of (laughs) female who works at the donut shop, who he, of course, uh, 
wants to get with, even though he's married and sleeping with his wife still. This movie is about a very, very um, irredeemably bad person who doesn't do anything good, but such is the power of Simon Rex's performance in the role and Sean Baker's writing that you fucking love this guy while you're watching it. And you're, it's say you're rooting for him might be a step too far, but like you're definitely like with him. Like you don't have any trouble watching him. I don't think, um, unless you were, you know, like a born again Christian or something. And I just had a lot of fun, uh, watching his scheming and, (laughs) He's always, he's just, he's such a scumbag, but it's great. (laughs) And the, all the side characters who are played by like non-actors, the woman who plays his mother-in-law is a non-actor and she's just incredible. You'd think she'd been acting her whole life. I mean, incredible. And, um, the way that it ends, I thought was like very like strange and sort of poetic. And I don't know. I just really worked for me. This is my favorite of Sean Baker's films that I've seen. So I'm really excited in about, uh, you know, seeing his next film. I know he'll keep going cause he's got the, uh, he's got that Oscar taste now, you know, got a couple of nominations for his oh, actors yeah, and right. yeah, he'll keep going <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. All right, so number three, The Mitchells versus The Machines, another animated Netflix film, which I really, really enjoy. Mm-hmm. I've heard of this one. Cool. Yeah. This is uh, this is on my on my list. I'm gonna I need to get to that one. Uh, my number three is the best Wes Anderson movie of the year, French Exit, um, directed by Azaziel <laughs> Jacobs. I didn't get Wes Anderson from this movie. No, like you know who I got. Uh-oh. I have it written down in my notes. Uh oh. <laughs> um, you took so many notes this time. No, I just, uh, especially with this one, I said it. It walks a fine line between between being quirky and too quirky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe that's just. Uh, it's easy to call Wes Anderson quirky, but I thought the the very like stylized dialogue shared by every which i like that character yeah, i liked i liked especially the i actually wrote down a couple of lines there's our jailbird now so, like when he says that i was like that's such a weird it feels like somebody yeah. who's 70 would say that you know and this guy's like 22 or whatever i felt like it was i wrote i wrote that it's like bombach a Bombach movie written by the Coens or something. It was just like, it was, <laughs> it was a weird mix of, of different aesthetics and, um, sensibilities. And my favorite line of the entire film, <laughs> I don't remember what he says this to, but when the guy, you know, uh, his, his girlfriend, uh, Imogen Poots and her boyfriend come to the, yeah. to visit. And he says, he says something like pretentious. And, and then, uh, <laughs> what's his face? Um, Hedges, Hedges says yeah. gross <laughs> and the guy's like what'd you say he goes I said gross <laughs> amazing I laughed out loud at that part that was that was amazing it's a it's a funny funny fucking movie I've... yeah it was, was alright and, and, and Pfeiffer was great in it yes 
I hope she gets recognized as well. She was wonderful. All right. Um, sorry, I forgot it was my turn. See? Now I'm forgetting it's my turn. You got like that? Um, my number three is The Last Duel, which we've talked to death about, I guess. But I will say one more thing about it, which is another note I took on this on this rewatch, was is whenever, um, before he's introduced to Jodie Comer's character, Dicker Rouge's, uh, Matt Damon's sitting with this guy and they're talking about him. And then he mm. says something like he has a, he has a wonderful wine cellar. And he says it like in reference to the cup that he's holding. And then he gets Carouge to taste out of the cup. The cup is steaming. Did they like drink boiled wine back then or something like hot wine? Was that a thing? I have no mm-hmm. fucking idea. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was really confused. Yeah. Maybe I was like, yeah, I was confused. Like, it was like, is that to seems, shit? Do you like mull the wine to sterilize it or something? I have no idea. Maybe I don't know. It was hot wine. I was like, that seems bizarre, but maybe that's like a thing they did. I don't know. Anyways, the last duel, the third best film of the year. <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> okay, so uh, my number two is Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh, nice. Yeah. It was my number one for about eighty percent of the year. So. <laughs> mm. Um. I should probably just do two and one and let you guys do one. <laughs> well, right. I haven't done two I... yet. Oh, okay. Never mind. You're right. <laughs> you're doing... Th- yeah. It's, you're doing... I'll just do you're two. Doing... Never mind. I'll just oh, do yeah. Two. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, my number two is the last duel. What's, number what's two, your okay. number two? My number two is licorice pizza. Okay. Which is... Uh, um, you know... <sighs> It's just great. <laughs> I don't know what to say about this movie. It's not going to be for Kevin. He's going to hate it. Uh, and I don't. And I don't know that Jr. is going to go as high as I did on it. But it's it's just beautiful. And the I love the sort of Elena Elena Haim. Is it Haim? Haim. Haim. Elena ha- or Alana Haim. They call her Alana in the movie. So Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman are not actors. Like, you can tell they haven't acted before, but it really works for their sort of, like, young, naive... Like, Alana Heim's almost kind of dopey in the movie at certain points. Like, she's... She wants this attention from this kid so much, but she also wants attention from older men. And there's these just these wonderful scenes, these almost, like, vignettes of... Like the one with Tom Waits and uh, Sean Penn. It's just great. It's just a great movie. I don't know what else to say about it. Wonderful cinematography. Killer soundtrack. Great drops, man, in this one. I mean, you, you, you can't even believe it. Like, the, in a movie from this about the 70s, you would expect the needle drops to be just, like, tired as fuck. But he manages to pick some great ones. Some great Todd Rundgren and Paul McCartney and Wings. <laughs> I love it. I love Licorice Pizza so much. I smiled so hard. I thought I was going to get a headache in the first like <laughs> 10 minutes. I was like, this is just, I can't stop smiling. <laughs> it's the most fun I had at the movies this year. Done. What kept it from being a five? What kept it from being a five? Um, I think that the narrative gets 
a little messy in the third act, not to sound like a totally pretentious douchebag of cinema, but the... But that's what we are, so that's okay. Thank you. The, uh, <laughs> sort of, the some of the moves that Alana Haim makes, or that, I should say, some of the moves that Paul Thomas Anderson makes to get Alana away from Cooper Hoffman's character seem a little shaky, and there's some weird stuff that happens when she makes those moves. I don't want to say too much, because I don't want to give away what happens, but... Um, has to do with the Benny Safdie character, uh, who is also great. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's not the, it's, they're sort of like nitpicks, really, if anything, but they're story nitpicks, so maybe a little bit problematic. And people, a lot of people have been saying, like, they have issues with the idea that she's older than the guy, like, the guy's a minor. But I don't know, I don't, why would this be an issue? I don't, who could give a fuck, you know? It's like, it's, it's in 1974 for starters. And he's pursuing her, and she does not she does not reciprocate for a long time. Like she's against it. I don't know. It's just it feels very like a sort of like a, um, what do they call that virtue signaling? You know, like you have to be against this because it's gross, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And there is a moment. There's a sort of recurring joke featuring that guy from. That Ben Stiller movie. Fuck. I don't know these people's names. This guy, you would know him if you saw him immediately. Like, he's an actor. Ethan Hawke. No. Will Will Ferrell. (laughs) Trying to think of people. John Michael Higgins. John Michael Higgins. Who, if you looked him up right now, you'd say, oh yeah, that guy. He's in, uh, like, he's in everything. He's in all the the comedies. Yeah. Anyways, he's got he's got some uh, he's got this recurring joke with him and his Asian wife, which is definitely racist. But it's sort of like his character being racist. I don't know. People are like feeling people feel cringy about it, I guess, because it's it encourages you to laugh sort of at a racial stereotype. But again, it's in the seventies. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I could find reasons to forgive it if I had to, but honestly, it's that would be a nitpick if it was something that I felt deeply about. Mm, I thought Licorice Pizza was fucking great. So, check it out. It's the second best film of the year. Kevin? Alright, hold hold on. Kevin. Oh. Let me me get my one in there, and then uh, you guys can just riff. Uh, (laughs) Just riff? Yeah. My, uh... My number one is the movie that uh, just touched me most in all the on all the right heart places, and uh, you know in five years maybe I won't think this movie is better than uh, the last duel and that's okay, but um, it's pig, F- fucking pig, <sighs> God, so fucking gross. pig, God, mm. it's good. Doesn't it make you sad that you didn't have a five star movie this year? No, I, I mean, how often do I have a five star movie? That's true. It made me feel sad <laughs> that I didn't have. I had one five star movie, which is my number one movie of the year, and Kevin's yeah. number one movie yeah. of the year, The Tragedy of Macbeth, directed by Joel Cohen. Just came out on Apple TV on Friday, and boy, did it land like the titular character's broadsword. Okay, yeah. <laughs> what a wonderful film. Um, it's Kevin, so you gave this a six. Oh yes. Lay it on us. <laughs> like, okay, so you know, our frequent listeners 
<laughs> will know that I I have a history with I have a history with Macbeth. I've read it several times. I've actually seen a production of it. I've seen several movies of it now. And Denzel, he is just fucking killing it. He is so good. The way he delivers all of this dialogue is so like it's just effortless. And um Catherine Hunter, who plays the weird sisters, all the body contortion stuff and the voices that she does. And I loved how like the um when they show like like one like one of them is standing next to this little pool and there's two reflections in the pool. That mm. was great. I like the opening scene when, like, you know, you think you're looking up at birds, but then it turns out that you're looking down. That yeah. was so good. And the the fight scenes at the end where, like, Denzel's just embarrassing this dude and then knocks the sword out of his hand and does the swift knife to the back of the head. That ruled. And <laughs> then, the, then the fight scene with, with Macduff and... Yeah, it's great. I could go on, um, no, it's just it's like Throne of Blood is still my favorite Macbeth, but this is like right up there. It's number two for sure. This is uh, my favorite Macbeth, far and away, and um, Polanski would be second. But that's neither here nor there. This is they're hardly comparable. I mean, this is obviously you know doing things. I mean, Polanski's Macbeth is trying to be as natural as possible. And this is like not natural at all. This is like highly stylized and Cohen is, um, creating this, like the world that he's creating and the, in the, like the, the, everything's on sound stages, even the stuff with like, there's like trees and shit, but it's all on sound stages. It's really interesting looking. He didn't seem to be concerned about hiding that fact. Um, I really, I, I, I agree. I like the performances. I thought Denzel was really great, very powerful, and uh, like f- when he's when he has his soliloquies about when he's thinking about killing Duncan, but he's and he's like weighing the pros and cons. I don't like there's just he. That's so wonderful the way he did that. Like I've never seen in a film. Uh, of Shakespeare, somebody deliver a soliloquy so naturally as if it were, you know, you believe somebody might actually say these things out loud to themselves. You know, right. normally, normally the, the thought process is to will reveal that as inner monologue, you know, it'll be like narration or something. But like, even when he's approaching Duncan's door and th- that's, that's the thing I think I appreciate the most about the film is Cohen's, uh, manipulation of the material or like his interpretation of the material like the mm. is this a dagger i see before me the, da- the dagger is the handle of the door yeah. like wonderful like this is such a genius move and um there's other stuff like that too i mean like the idea that the witches are all the single person like you say the 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 reflections in the pool and the fact that they uh they have her in the old man makeup later on. Yeah. That shit is incredible. I don't know. I, I, it's, all that really, really worked for me. Like, because uh, after Catherine, after that initial Catherine Hunter scene, I'm thinking to myself, I mean, I know that the Weird Sisters are in the play more, but I'm just like, I just want to get back to her. And then they have her in the, you know, they managed to sort of 
put her in the film at different points, which is which is great. And I yeah, I thought all the um, performances were fantastic. I don't think there's anybody who I was like disappointed with at all, really. Um, I don't think so. Even like somebody like Corey Hawkins, who I don't really know Me what either. he's from or anything, but I thought he's uh, yeah, Corey I mean, Hawkins he's, is the devil. He's from uh, the from devil. Out, I, I just he's I really in the don't Iron like Man, him. Iron Man Three, Kong Skull Island, In the Heights. Straight yeah, so out of he's Compton, he's a musical like theater actor and mm-hmm. um, came from there. So yeah. Uh, and he's like he's in that fucking Michael Bay like Secret Six or Super Six. I don't know. Six Underground. Six, whatever. I. <laughs> he he was not bad in this movie. He was he was not I a bad was, McDuff. But uh, I thought he was quite good as McDuff. Yeah. I could have used a little bit more emotion, I suppose. If I was going to nitpick, I like I, more emotion whenever he was told that his wife and kids were dead. But I love the delivery of the that news by. The other, uh, by Ross, who's played by, who plays Ross, man? Alex Hassel. Like a, yeah. That guy's mm. fucking great in this. Yeah, he was quite a presence. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because really... that was the thing I didn't realize. Like, Ross is, like, everywhere in mm-hmm. in this play. And, like, he's the third murderer, which was, I thought was a really interesting way of uh, handling that, handling the concept of the third murderer. Yeah. It's fantastic. I really liked, uh, Oh, that was another thing. The, the casting of the murderers. Um, one of them is Brian Thompson. Who's mm-hmm. like a staple of like action eighties action cinema. Like using mm-hmm. the Terminator and Cobra, but yeah. he's, he's really good in this. I was, it made me think like, where has this guy been? Like, what's he do? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's good in this. Like, he's able yeah. to manage. I mean, granted, the murderers don't have that complicated of dialogue, but it's still like he's doing Shakespeare, and it's great. Yeah, that's really casting outside the box. I loved the Stephen mm-hmm. Root scene when mm-hmm. Stephen Root shows up and has the porter. I loved all that. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I just thought it was absolutely wonderful and. It's hard for me to like judge it outside of the. I mean, it's definitely it's getting a boost automatically because it's about Macbeth, you know. Like I like Macbeth, I like Shakespeare, I love the dialogue, I love to see the actors and what they choose to do with it, and what they choose not to do with it, and so like it automatically gets a boost for that. So it's like I feel like there are people who might watch this, and you know that like that's a for whom that's a a stumbling block for, you know, like, I don't want to watch a movie that's Shakespeare, you know, even though I might like Denzel or I might like Francis McDormand, but I just think it's, uh, doing incredible things with the source material. I guess if anybody had a, like, it's, and this is going to sound weird, but like the only performance that I thought was kind of underwhelming was Brendan Gleeson as Duncan. His, I felt like he's a little, he's a little monotone, like a little bit like, <laughs> like he's, he didn't have much to him. I don't know. He didn't seem like he was a real person so much as the rest of the characters. Mm. But, and I wish that Ralph Innocent was in the movie more. For sure. But I yeah. liked his soldier at the beginning was good. Mm. And I, you know, I don't know. It's just a, just a great film. What am I going to say? It's fucking great. This movie's fucking great. Yes. And I... I read an interview with Cohen where he said 
that he wouldn't have made this film with his brother. So he had to go solo because his brother is not interested in Shakespeare. But isn't his brother like taking time off from directing to like direct theater? To direct theater, but apparently he's not interested in Shakespeare because he he said he said this is something that would not interest my brother. That's what he says in the in the interview. Cool. But but um, and he also said that uh, he's like not at all going solo permanently. Like he loves working with his brother, and he's he says that uh, when directors ask him for advice, he the first thing he tells him is find a partner because it makes things way easier. <laughs> so. <laughs> nice yeah i mean i'm just you know i don't know joel cohen the guy the cohen's you know this, yeah some of the greatest american filmmakers what are you gonna do absolutely all right well you have anything else to say about it kev uh i'm wondering where it's gonna go in my cohen ranked list pretty no, no, no. Uh, that's, I'm that's thinking tough man, one right now it's different. It's so different from everything else they've really done. I mean, it's yeah, kind of yeah. difficult to say, but. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll uh, we should probably move on to the deep dive since it's two hours and 40 minutes in the episode here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this this week we're reviewing uh, uh, Triplets of Belleville by mm-hmm. Sylvain Chalmay, which is Kevin's pick, an animated film from 2000 and. Two? Four? Uh, three? Nine? Three? Three. Two thousand three. <laughs> Alright. Go ahead, Kevin. What take it take it take it away. What why this movie? Why now? I've been meaning to rewatch it for a long time. I knew you hadn't seen it and mm-hmm. I didn't know like JR seen it before, but I didn't know exactly how long it had been. Um and yeah, you know, I like I like to get the animation in when I can, um, especially from a dude who makes phenomenal animated films. Um, so yeah, I thought, thought it was time to get this on the podcast. And so, so we start off with uh, a little performance by the actual triplets of Belleville in the movie three like vaudeville type singers um and then then we move on to the main part of the story which is about a grandma and her grandson champion whose parents have just died and she's trying to find different ways for him to cope and finally she gets him a tricycle. He really takes to it. And next thing you know, he's training for the Tour de France. And while in the Tour de France, he gets kidnapped by mobsters. And so Grandma has to find him. And she ends up meeting the triplets. And they have to help her find Champion. That was another That's a thing. solid, uh, solid synopsis. Yeah. And that was another thing about and... the movie. Like, really... Really clean, really simple, eighty-minute runtime. Very short. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It was short, which is you, good um, for any film. You, you definitely made the movie sound uh, less weird than it is. Well, I mean, when, once you see like the you know characters' noses and uh, the dudes turning into apes when they when they see tits. Um, <laughs> You know, it, yeah, it's a little bizarre, and it's and 
its own brand of animation. But uh, well, that op- that scene when they turn into apes when they see the girl's tits, that's a different animation, eh? I mean, that's like that opening scene is in like Fleischer Brothers yeah, or whatever they are. You know, the yeah. the like a uh, Cuphead sort of uh, animation style, right? Yeah, for sure. Which I and, thought the whole film was going to be, and then when it wasn't, I was I was uh, happy. Because I didn't want the whole movie to look like that. It's like, oh I no, like, what is this going to be? Oh dear. But, uh, yeah. So, um, I like this movie a lot more now. Because I can appreciate it more. And seeing it on Blu-ray was fantastic. So, yeah. um, what'd you guys think? JR? Um, huge fan. I love this movie. It is a um, the the animation is something that I just I, I love so much for how unique it is, and I loathe looking at it because of how uncomfortable it makes me. Uh, like the the way that he draws people in this just is like disturbing. Yeah, the noses. The teeth, these cyclists who are kidnapped with Champion, who uh, like never stop mouth breathing the whole time. They're worn out, man. And, yeah, yeah. They, they stay worn out. Yeah, it's um, it's crazy. And you know, making fun of cyclists is you know easy target, right? But uh, the way that he just makes their whole like lower halves uh, like a series of connecting uh, like butts, like all their muscles just make butts. <laughs> Uh, all the way up to their butt is just so uh, hilarious. Um, but you know, like guys, you know, again, another another pretentious film douchebag alert for this. But like, all like the um, it's clear that Chomet is really into Jacques Tati. I'm really into Jacques Tati. Uh, we got multiple like Postman short references. They're fucking weather vane. Jacques Tati, there's an Imhulo poster up there. I uh, I love it. And you know, once once the cyclist is kidnapped and um, she paddle boats across the ocean, it just you know, shit gets weird. Um, all the frog stuff is disgusting. Like the these three sisters and the way that they like shamble. Like one of them like walks with like her arms like raised, but behind her. Like the scary ass zombie, it's uh, it's just so good. It's sort so... of like Catherine Hunker, Hunter in in last yeah. in the tragedy of Macbeth. And then, yeah, hands. yes, yeah, it was. <laughs> and even like, just like these, all these little details, like the crawfish van during the race, and the way that, uh, the dogs' dreams, are like like one of them is used as like a scene transition. It's uh, it's uh, it's just like really cool filmmaking for like a story that doesn't fucking matter like right the plot of this is stupid uh but everything about it just looks and feels really cool Mm. all right i'm done i'm out i wrote that uh just to go off of to to piggyback on what you just said his legs are gross Mm. when they first show his legs just really gross and I felt like it was, it reminded me of like Rin and Stimpy, you know, like Rin and Stimpy, they used to have like, like something that was disgusting and they would do like a close up, but it would be like an oil painting. And I know they didn't do that in this movie, but it was like, it just, for some reason, it reminded me of that. It was like, I kept expecting it to 
do a super close up of his legs and it'd just be like really disgusting veins or something, you know, it was really nasty. And, um, yeah, the animation style, I don't even know if it's the animation style, it's just the drawing style, like the, the way that characters are formed in this world is not something that I'm loving, but I appreciate that he's doing something that's like very unique, like the fact that the mobsters all look the same and they're these huge like refrigerator shapes with like heads on their chests, which is very, very strange and a weird, a weird way to um, show them, but uh, <laughs> to illustrate them. Um, but yeah, as far as like, I felt like the other, what was the first film we watched? The Illusionist. Yes. Mm. From the same filmmaker. I liked it more. Because I guess because it was more like the characters are more natural looking, which mm. seems like a really stupid thing to like judge the film on, but it's just like a, I mean, it's so in your face in this movie, like and it's nonstop, it's like unrelenting. The sort of, I don't want to say disgusting, but like the imagery is like so abrasive, you know, mm. <laughs> like for a long time, and and then you get to the point where they paddle boat to what is presumably New York city, but it's obviously, it's not actually New York, but it's like, you know, it's a facsimile of New York or an American. I mean, there's metropolis. a, yeah, there's a, there's a statue of Liberty. It's a fat yeah. statue of Liberty, but yeah, but every, but, but, but then everybody's still speaking French and the French yeah. mafia is in New York city for some reason. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it's like, I find it difficult to reconcile the fact that everybody's speaking French with him tr- attempting to, um, satirize America and American animation, for instance, I, I have no problem shitting on Disney. Disney sucks, but like, the, you know, it's just, it seems strange that he's like he feels like he's like half committed to this idea, where it would be more interesting. Like, if that like if that's the idea that he wants to present, that's a good idea. But it's like he's not. It's like it's almost like what you said. It's like the story is just completely inconsequential. Like nothing matters. It's just a showcase for his animation style, and for the uh imagery and ideas that he has you know and he sort of molded them them into this ridiculous story that you know is just completely absurdist um which either works for you or it doesn't work for you and for me i just it's i'm falling on the i'm on a i'm on a fence and i'm falling off on the side that it doesn't work (laughs) for me that's all it's not something i it's not something i hate i'm not gonna say chalmay sucks and you shouldn't watch these films, but like, it's just, maybe it's just not for me. I don't know. Mm. I also am not a fan. This is not having to do with him specifically, but the CG effect that they use in animated films at this time. And like during this, there was this transition from 2d to 3d animation. Right. And a lot of like late nineties, early two thousands, they tend to use CG for landscapes and cityscapes and, so that characters could move fluidly through them and the camera could move around things. I'm not a fan of that. I hate that. <laughs> but again, that's not, he's just a product of his time. You can't help that. I mean, you're going to do, you're going to use the tools that are available. I understand that. And, and you know, again, it's just like a, it's, it feels very like, I don't want to shit on this movie because I don't think it's bad necessarily. I just, it definitely just feels like, it's like Kevin, you love, uh, life of Brian. You know, and like 
that sensibility, that sense of humor. And I feel like that's not a thing that I would ever say, like, I, Monty Python is shit humor and it's not good. It's just not for me. It's like a veering fork, you know? It's like the, I'm on mm. this side of the humor landscape and this is the stuff you like and this is the stuff I like and then JR likes the stuff that's over there with the, you know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just like, then this just isn't, this isn't working for me. I didn't find it funny at all. I didn't find, I, I could see where you would find it charming. It didn't charm me. Uh, yeah, it just didn't work for me, man. Ah, I feel bad for some reason. I feel really guilty about this one. I don't know well, why. Because yeah, you're being <laughs> just you're being a fucking bummer. That's why. I know. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't want to do it because I don't like. I say I don't hate this movie. Like I didn't despise it or anything. Um, I didn't even like. I wasn't even like bummed watching it. Like whenever it was getting close to the end, I wasn't like, God, fucking end already. Because it's only like you know what is it, like seventy five minutes long. Like who cares, you know? But it's. I don't know. This didn't work for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, Kevin. <laughs> I have to be the voice of dissent on this one. Yeah, I know. Yeah, because I mean, like, uh, you know, yes, I have a history of not liking Paul Thomas Anderson's films, but I was you know, excited. Like, see? John's finally going to get to see Licorice Pizza. I and I was kind of dis- and I was kind of disappointed for you because it wasn't a five. I was like, oh, well, man. you know, they can't all be fives. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I have, uh, I have, I have nightmares about rewatching Inherent Vice and seeing how low that goes. So, hey. if I'm honest with myself here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I have, yeah. I mean, that's as much as I can contribute to this review. Didn't okay. work for me, but you know. I mean, yeah, yeah. hey, if it's, Kevin, it's not for you. Kevin, bring the bring the yes. energy back up. Give us some of the give us some of the positives. Oh. uh... I mean, I mean, you already said you did, but I was going to ask you if you saw that uh, uh, Monsieur Hulot's holiday poster that was in the oh, triplets. Yeah. Uh, Hell yeah, yeah. And I yeah, thought they have, the, great, um, they have great taste. Yeah, <laughs> and like I actually really like the opening song and uh, the kind of like um, the version that's at the end which actually got nominated for like best song at the in the oscars that year but um yeah i mean yeah i can i can go ahead and say like originally it was like 4.25 but now like i'm bumping it up to like full five like especially Whoa. since especially since seeing the blu-ray yeah yeah you've got to make up for me not liking it as much yeah well yeah you know. <laughs> I've got to balance things out here. Are you still at a five, Jr.? I, well, we're not to ratings yet, Kevin. Um, Are, we're not. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. We're three no, I, three hours into this thing. Uh. That's a, well. That's a good point. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah. I mean, it, this is interesting. Like, I it's like a movie where I don't have a ton to say because yeah, there isn't a ton of narrative there to like uh, nitpick. I could nitpick how, you know, that escape from the uh, mobsters did make a ton of sense. That was probably the slowest moving uh, vessel they could have chosen there. But, like, running is faster, of course, uh, than trying to pedal uh, a floor. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I I get it. This is uh, the animation and style worked for you or it didn't. And 
and it worked for me and yeah i think my only thing i like the introductory cartoon you know is just like it is it is a disturbing parody like it almost gets like too real with like the the caricature and racism and i was like oh well, that's a that's a bummer but that's it that's my only like nitpick of the whole thing um and i'm just really glad that the there's a post-credit sequence with the guy still waiting for the paddle boat back in the other country. Oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> He's just standing still looking out at the water. Yeah, I can. Uh, I also can like the appearance of Django Reinhardt playing guitar with his foot. <laughs> yeah. I like uh, Fred Astaire's shoes eating him. Oh, that was a weird moment. Yeah. 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 Like the the uh, the triplets, they don't seem to notice the uh, the weird shit happening on their stage. Mm-hmm. But anyway, All right. um, yeah, let's do it. Ratings. We're, t- do we're it. tired. We're clearly tired. You guys are giving it five. Yeah. Um. Yep. Yeah. Oh, he's, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. I'm going. I'm going uh, half of that. Two and a half. So that's that. And this is another one of those pesky films where letterbox roulette is not going to work in its traditional sense. Yeah. We yeah. could do. So, uh, we could do letterbox roulette with Macbeth. Oh. Sure. Or we could oh, also say Kevin wins. Yeah. No, fuck that. Let's do, let's do Macbeth. That's a good idea. I like that idea. Okay. Sure. So we've got Denzel, Francis McDormand, Alex Hassel, Bertie Carvel. Who's Bertie Carvel? Now wait Bank just well. wait a minute. Oh, it's Banquo. Okay. Um, Brendan Gleeson and Corey Hawkins. Okay. This could Let go me... a number of ways. It could go six ways. Exactly. <laughs> Let's get the dice app up. Okay, you guys ready? Here we go. It's six. Oh my god, it's Corey Hawkins. <laughs> Well, you guys got fucked. I know. You, he's going to win this one for sure, Kevin. Mm. I've seen three of his films. I've seen four. Even, oh, yeah. I've seen uh, Macbeth, Iron Man 3, and Klansman. Mm. I've seen Kong Skull Island in addition Ouch. to that. Yeah. And I, you know, as a Michael Bay completist, I've seen uh, Six Underground. So, uh, And In the Heights, of course. But You're gross. I've seen Six. So, I like none of us have seen Straight Outta Compton. I know that is weird, That's isn't it? That's wild. <laughs> How did that happen? It does feel like a pretty big one to be missing. But, all right, well, uh, Jera wins. So, let's get a number going. Generating the number now 1265 is the number. 1265. We're looking for the number 1265. Who's got it? Who's got it? I'll be there eventually. I've got it. I've got it. Okay, lay it on us. Well, I had it. All right. um, This week's homework is Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer from 1986. Yeah. You guys both seen that already? No. I saw it a long time ago. I was actually just telling Sharon about it the other day because, like, I mean, you you guys may may feel differently, but like, I don't know, like, it to me it doesn't 
really say serial killer. More, it's more kind of stark weather, like this mass murderer. But I don't know. We'll see. It's directed by John McNaughton, who did yeah. um, Mad Dog and Glory mm-hmm. in Normal Life. Guy's great. Starring starring Michael Rooker. Rooker. Whoa. Rooker. Um, <laughs> available on uh, Peacock. Criterion. Yeah. Two B okay. and Criterion. Yeah, I, uh, this is actually in my watch list and for whoa. a while now. Eighty. So. You guys got off lucky. Eighty three minutes. I'm psyched. Thank God. It's got Tom Tolls also. That guy's good. Um. Okay. Well. Uh. And next week it'll be my pick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, we're between uh, three films right now. One's from 1972, one is from 1996, and one is from 1997. So somebody tell me which one to pick. <laughs> I mean, you know which one I'm going to say. Just You're going to say the 97 a... one, I know. So. No, <laughs> 72, damn That seems like the easy way out, though. <laughs> like, well, okay, I'll not just knowing say, the I'll, options, that's sure. I'll just okay. say, listen to this. So, my 1997 pick was G.I. Jane, and I only chose it because you haven't seen it, and we were talking about Ridley Scott and how great he is all of a sudden. Like, he did this great film, and maybe <laughs> we're wrong. Maybe G.I. Jane is great. Okay. I like it. It's not amazing. I liked it, though. <laughs> I've seen it a lot. And then... But see, 1972, I feel, I feel like that's going to be really good, though. Fuck. I just got to make a decision here. I got to pull the trigger. My, my 1996 pick was The Substitute, because we talked about it twice. <laughs> and I feel like you guys aren't going to like it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll that, dump that one. Is that one of your childhood movies that... Uh... Um... <laughs> That was a big deal. Yeah, probably a VHS classic. We probably watched this a ton. My dad definitely was in, really into this movie. I think we're gonna have to go my '72 pick after all. Mm. You guys ready? Yeah. <laughs> Jeremiah Johnson, 1972, directed by Sidney Pollack, now, starring you know, Robert Redford. You know that I swore I would never watch this movie. I'm just kidding. You're doing it, bud. <laughs> This, this is, uh, as I recall, this is quite a good movie, but it's been a while, so I'm excited to rewatch. It's got Matt Clark in it. It's always a good sign. I don't understand how I've never seen this movie. I don't either. It's bizarre to me. I've seen it, but it's been a long, long time. Well, we've got to get on it. It also has Tanya Tucker in it. I don't know why, but anyway. Okay. Yeah. On canopy. Um, I'm excited. We're gonna we're gonna watch Jeremiah Johnson and then Kevin and I are gonna watch Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Uh so until next time which may might be sooner than this one, right? Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Um Thanks for listening. Visit our website at filmyakpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram, Filmiac Podcast, Facebook at Filmiac Podcast, write to us at Filmiac Podcast at gmail.com, and uh, 
until next time, thank you so much for listening to this three-hour end-of-the-year fest. We hope you had as much fun as we did. See you later. Bye-bye. I think it's 18, (laughs) and it's also been seven years since we recorded.